Hello, friends. This is Dave Pasqualone with the Remarkable People Podcast, Season 1, Episode 18, The Neighborhood Bible Time Story. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People Podcast. Listen. Do. Repeat. For life. Today we have a special episode with two guests. We have my brother in Christ and good friend Noah Young, and also my brother in Christ and friend and director of Neighborhood Bible Time, Larry Kuntz. This episode, the first couple hours, are going to be me and Noah reminiscing about the lessons we learned at Bible Time, how Brother Homeshire and Brother Tutton and just the ministry as a whole affected our lives and other people that we were able to see firsthand. And then that last 20 minutes is with Brother Kuntz, and he's going to show you what Neighborhood Bible Time is, how to get involved, and how to help the organization grow so other people can come to know Christ and have a great time doing it. So enjoy this episode of the Remarkable People Podcast, Ministry Spotlight on NBT, Neighborhood Bible Time. Hey, no, what's going on, brother? Hey, man, what's happening? Thanks for having me. Oh, dude, it's a pleasure. It is a true pleasure. For those of you who do not know who Noah Young is, Noah and I have been friends since college, and we'll go back wow. and tell that story. I know, right, man? <laughs> man, you're going to make us feel old. 20 years and 20 pounds ago. 20 years? Well, it's longer than that, man. So I know. It's getting up there. <laughs> Shh, let's not tell. Yeah, I know. But Noah and I... Noah and I have been friends since college, and we got to travel with an organization named Neighborhood Bible Time, NVT, which we will definitely go in and explain this episode. And Noah was uh, vice president of a division of Jackson Dawson, and he is now senior account manager at Tier 1 Performance Solutions out of Kentucky. And more than anything, Noah is a great man. He's a great family man, a great friend, a great man of God. And I think we're going to have a really wonderful episode with a lot of wisdom to share. The normal podcast format of the show is we talk about the guest and their remarkable story. And then we transition to you know how they overcame the obstacles in their life, the practical steps, where they are today and where they're going. But for today's podcast, we're going to do things a little differently. Noah and I both, God brought us together at college and then we went to this this ministry, this evangelistic ministry called Neighborhood Bible Time, and we both are going to share our experiences with you today, so you can hopefully learn from that, because I know I learned a ton. Noah, how about you? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, it was it uh, was probably the most intensive training experience for ministry that you could experience. So, yeah, I, was, I learned a ton. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to go into all the nitty gritty details. We're super excited because we experienced it, but we're going to sit down, share some of the things we learned. And of course, Noah and I are still learning and we probably forgot. I mean, I can say, honestly, I've forgotten more of the lessons I've learned from Bible time and I'm mad at myself. I wish I wrote it down. How about you, man? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like, I feel like I can remember some of the lessons I, you know, as I was reflecting, trying to get ready for this episode, it was kind of, it was actually kind of fun because it really started to bring back some things that I learned there. 
But now I've been able to kind of incorporate into my life that have really, I think, helped me a lot, not only personally, but professionally, helped me with my family, a lot of things. And, you know, we'll talk about some of that stuff. But, uh, you know, it it did take some concentrated effort to think back, you know, almost 25 years ago to think about some of those experiences. But as I started getting into it and as I was preparing for this, things really started to flood back and I started getting excited and reliving that a little bit and, and realized I was about 30 pounds lighter. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right. So for you, the listener, thank you. Well, we kind of uh, reminisce and we kind of uh, catch up a little bit here. Noah and I will start off the podcast with how Noah and I met. So Noah, I don't know if you remember this, but when I got to college, I came in and it was a culture shock. I mean, a serious (laughs) culture shock. I went from Milford, Mass, outside of Boston, to Pensacola, Florida. That's really, they called it LA, Lower Alabama. And it's a wonderful place. I still live here today. Um, But it was shocking. And I had to find someone to cut my hair. And... (laughs) There's people in the dorms who you don't want you to, you know, you'll get a disease for the rest of your life with the razors they use, right? Yeah. And then I went around to some places in town and it wasn't much better. And then someone somewhere told me about this guy named Noah. I'm like, Noah? And then he's like, yeah, he's like, dude, he's awesome. He does a great job. You give him donations. And he's like in his own little professional kit. And (laughs) you actually have to schedule and sign up for haircuts. I'm like, seriously? So I go across, I think we were in Ballard or Coberly then? At that time I was in Coberly because I was in Coberly for my first three years and then my senior year I got put in Ballard. Yeah. And so when I came in, we're the same age, but I started college two years late because I had that tumor in my head and (laughs) I feel much better now. (laughs) But uh, that set me back a little bit. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so I go up and I I see this cart and he's cutting hair. He's got the cape on people. He's got the uh, Barbasol. Is that what it's called? The cleaning fluid? Man, this dude is my type of guy. He is like (laughs) systematic. He's prepared. He's organized. And that's how I remember us becoming friends. Is that what you remember? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I do remember that. And the funny thing was about it was I remember when... Uh, I was cutting your hair, and I don't even know how the conversation came up about hair products. But then I saw, <laughs> I saw the Dave Pascalone sales guy come out, and it's like you know, like at that time, I wasn't one of those people that you know used hair products because it just wasn't my thing. I wasn't trying to impress anybody, whatever. And then you started telling me about like this miracle hair product called Stitch Fix or Fix. What was it? Stick Fix. Stick Fix. And I was like, what in the heck is Stick Fix? And I remember you showing me, like touching your hair, like showing me how you could style your hair and how amazing this was. And I was like, what the heck? And you actually gave me a stick of it that I think literally lasted like, through college or something and it was like the most impressive thing and then and then i know we've had conversations since then about how we love this product we think it's amazing i actually think i have some more sticks of it but you know you can't you know they don't make it anymore i think you had mentioned it's like gold man they just after all these years they just discontinued it because i guess what happened was the gentleman died who invented it 
and no relation, no no yeah. reason. That's right. I'm just old age. <laughs> right. And then the company who bought his company, they said, oh, we don't want this. And there was such an uproar from people like us who love this product <laughs> that they said by they're literally retooling the machinery to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh, we should get stock in that company then because uh, I'm going to be buying that for the rest of my life. But think about it. I gave you one. T- I'm not making money at this. I just love right. it. And I gave you a sample. But one teeny, if you're listening, look, we're going to be talking about life lessons. We're going to be talking about entrepreneurship. We're going to be talking about sales skills. But if this was a sales scenario, I gave him one five. I think actually that back then it was like two dollar test right. evaluation sample. Right. And he's a loyal customer for 25 years. <laughs> That's how you do it, ladies and gentlemen. Give a little, get a lot. Well, and I think the thing that was interesting to me about it was, I mean, we're in college. Like the farthest thing from probably either one of our minds at that point was sales. But the way in which you talked about that product with the energy that you brought to it, talking about the benefits of the product. I mean, it was like to me right away it's like this guy is a natural sales guy like you just had that passion <laughs> that energy you like totally were sold and believed in it and then it, for like me it just got me excited and pretty pumped about it and i was able to you know jump on the bandwagon pretty pretty quickly and i think i told i don't even know how many people i told about it i don't so, know we should be getting some commission checks after this right? you're not kidding man we should put it you should put a link in your show notes to <laughs> hair products we'll start one of those like sign this email and send it in (laughs) to get the product back on the market yeah no no doubt i know when i'm passionate about something i'm all in i remember i had a you paid for your college through the hair right through cutting hair so i so that's how i paid for like my books and all my ancillary incidentals all my laundry clothes all that kind of stuff my uh, tuition and room and board. I had help from my family, and then I worked on campus. I had a, I was in the maintenance department, and then I had a uh, ministerial scholarship and and things like that. And then my my parents kind of helped out with some of the other pieces of it. But yeah, I mean, I made, I made quite a bit of money. I mean, I made four or five thousand dollars just Shh. cutting hair. Ba ba ba. Tax man might be listening. Oh, yeah. Shh, those were donations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We appreciated you. They were donations. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Yeah. Hypothetically, I might have met a lady at the mall and she'd give me a bunch of cologne samples and I might have <laughs> sold those to guys in my dorm. And I might have had the pretty girls say how much they liked how they smelled when a guy walked by. So they'd buy more. But that's just hypothetically. Right. Not like I did yeah. that. Yeah. I've never and there's nothing to do with reselling guitars or violins or anything I no, get my hands on. No. <laughs> nope, nope, never happened. Never. Just just ideas. Yeah. Just Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> The haircutting, it was just practice. It was total ministry. Just there to help people, you know. <laughs> but no, I think I, I do think that was kind of cool though, like when we met and then, you know, I think from there it was kind of cool because we kind of had we felt I, I don't know about you, but I felt like we we had a good connection and we're able to oh, absolutely. build always. our friendship through that. And the the thing that was always interesting to me. Uh, that I always enjoyed about you at that time and, and even today was just how real you were and how authentic. And, you know, you talk about the culture shock of going to Pensacola and, you know, your culture shock was probably more than mine, but mine was still, uh, I still had quite a bit too, because I had gone to public school. So I remember sitting in my first day of classes and I, I, 
I'm waiting for the teacher to get started and everybody's got their eyes closed and their heads bowed. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And, you know, the teacher was leading everybody in prayer and I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, that was uh, kind of an earth shattering concept. Yeah. And just so the listeners know, because we have people from all over the world, all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of uh, religious beliefs, quote unquote. But Noah and I both went to Pensacola Christian College in Pensacola, Florida. We were there during the 90s. And so when we're referring to all this college, that was the, I guess, the environment, the place we met. Yeah. When you and I were friends, I don't know if we ever discussed neighborhood bottle time. And then I think all of a sudden, I'll explain later, how were you introduced to neighborhood bottle time? How did you get hooked up with the organization? Yeah, so I got hooked up because my brother Nathan had traveled, um, when was, he traveled, so... He traveled the summer of 96. And you know what? We've been very disjointed. I think we're so excited to talk to each other. <laughs> Listeners, thank you for being just so kind and so patient. Why don't you you explain what Neighborhood Bottle Time is? Yeah, yeah. And then I'll jump in. Let's, let's explain what it is before we do a whole episode about it. Yeah, right? yeah. So Neighborhood Bible Time, the way I always describe it to people who are not familiar is it's a an evangelistic, a Christian evangelistic um organization that goes to local churches throughout the United States and even the world and puts on one week vacation Bible school type program on steroids that goes from, you know, probably kindergarten all the way through high school. And it's a a very comprehensive program. But uh, it was something started back in 1952 by Charles B. Humpshire. So we refer to this guy as boss, and, and Dave can get more into that. But Charles B. Humpshire, the interesting thing about him was he was a guy that he was like, I think a rancher, had a ranch down in southern Colorado uh, in the Springfield area, and then just one day felt like the Lord was calling him to ministry and doing something, you know, for, for the kingdom, if you will. And so he got out of the ranching business and got into ministry and started at the inner cities of, uh, of Denver and started this ministry going into these neighborhoods and just doing these little programs for children and, uh, teaching them about Jesus. And then from there, it just kind of mushroomed and grew and a pretty incredible thing that, you know, from, for a farm boy, in Southern Colorado, then to have a worldwide ministry, pretty impressive, uh, really. And he, he, I mean, how long was he at the helm? He was at the helm probably over 60 years. 55 years for sure. Cause for I remember sure. there was an anniversary. Yeah, for sure. And then he was loosely associated where, you know, he transitioned, he passed the torch on to Larry Coons. Yep. And I'm not sure when the official, like, I'm stepping down like full time is. Yeah. But boss was, I, I mean, I might get into this or I can jump into it now. Sure. If you have not seen Neighborhood Bible Time or heard of it, just picture vacation Bible school exactly like Noah said on steroids. It's just infused with more energy and more fun and ribbons and just tons of spizzerinkdom and fun and all the things that you'd see at other uh, events. YMCA events, church events. Like if you just take the best of everything, that's neighborhood bottle time. I never even heard of neighborhood bottle time 
I was like, Noah, I grew up in public school and I, and I was the anomaly in my area. Like it wasn't like there was this huge influx of, um, you know, people who had the same, uh, biblical worldview as me. But as I grew up and, and trusted Christ as my savior and started studying the Bible, you know, there was a point where I was like, okay, I just got out of the hospital for two years. I can go on the mission field and try to help somebody. Not like I was a missionary or worthy of it, but I thought oh, I'll try to help somebody because I was still recovering. Or I can go down to this college I just heard about, Pensacola Christian <laughs> College. And I'm like, man, they're at the beach. And I'm like, you're such a heathen and loser <laughs> that don't go to a help a missionary because you'll curse their ministry. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just going down to Pensacola Christian College and enjoy the beach. That was my corrupt, horrible thinking, right? <laughs> And, and there was part of me it was like, I hopefully I'll get right with God down there. So I come down. I've never heard of neighborhood by all time. And I'd hear these preacher boys. And I'm going to call you guys preacher boys. Because yeah. that for 50 something years, neighborhood by all time, it was only preacher boys that would go because it helped them develop how to communicate, how to connect with people, how to lead. And again, we'll talk about all aspects of the ministry. But um, when you heard of it through your brother, what was your experience like? Because I know there was an interview process. And when Noah referred to earlier, I think you might have used the term boot camp. Right. The training for neighborhood biotech was legitimately like you didn't go through the gas chamber, but some of the things you almost wish you did. It was so hard and so intense. There was guys who broke down year after year. They couldn't cut it and they had to go. So again, the military, obviously, from a physical standpoint, much harder. But when you meet Boss, he was not politically correct. He could not navigate. <laughs> he had to be a couple of generations back or he'd be in prison. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the man was awesome. I love him. He's probably the most godly human I've ever met. But when he said things, you were like, wow, that's what we all think. But he actually said it out loud to a stranger's face. So it was quite the interesting person. Am I exaggerating now, or is that conservative? Uh, no, I mean, that's totally right on. And, you know, the thing that was so interesting uh, about him, I mean, he was, every time I think of Colorado, like Colorado is kind of that uh, epitome of very individualistic uh, American kind of spirit, can-do American spirit. And he embodied that like so much like he was such a unique individual and there's you know i just can't think of any other person quite like him he he was just you know that unique of a person and the fire and energy that he had you know when you think about it i mean he was born in 1925 so you know we were there in the late 90s so he's in his early 70s at that time but this guy, like, had energy. He's keeping up with us. I mean, I was 19 years old when I first went. And, like, he's keeping up yep. with us. You know, remember, he would keep us up till 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. Then we were up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and he was right there with us. <laughs> yeah, and he had to drive to and from the office. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, let's just do this. Like, <laughs> me and Noah are so excited. We're jumping around. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of good content that's going to come out of this. Because I can say, honestly, God used Boss and Nerid time and brother Tutton to change my life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, such a, yeah. So I, the average bedtime I remember was midnight. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, sometimes you're up till two working, but average right. I'd say was midnight. An early night would be 11 p.m. We'd go to bed. Yeah, that's right. And then we'd wake up every day, five o'clock. <laughs> five o'clock. No <laughs> excuses. If you went to bed at four, you're still waking up at five. <laughs> and then first thing we do is he taught us to do calisthenics, like old fashioned calisthenics. <laughs> it didn't matter. It was like, dude, this was written in 1910. I got the book still in black and white. It's what works. Do it. You remember that? I do remember that because we would all line up and it was, you know, I, I just, I, I think of like a black and white film where everybody's wearing yeah. like white shorts that are pulled up like, you know, above their yeah. button, you know, and you're doing jumping jacks and like yeah. weird kind of movements but he just thought this was like you just had to do this you know but listen look at the results he's in his 70s <laughs> right. sharp as a tack <laughs> articulate strong healthy i mean the dude was a stud he was a stud yeah no doubt about it so but then so every day i mean and catch me man i got a i have a good memory in some areas and bad in others but what i remember is waking up every day being exhausted <laughs> um we go do our calisthenics and then it was our our quiet time. Yeah. Spend time with God. Then after that, and I'm I was such a heathen and I was so not useless. I remember the first summer, man, like falling asleep almost every day, and he come by and slap me. I'm, like, I'm sorry. He's like, stand up while you pray. I'm like, You're right, man. Right. So so we I do that, and then um then after that I'd get showering, shaved, and get dressed and ready. And then once everything was done. Then you can eat. Yeah, then you. That have was breakfast. what I remember. Is that the schedule you remember? Yeah, I think so. And it was so funny because the first year I remember, you know, because I traveled two summers. So the first summer, I didn't have it quite figured out yet. But when, <laughs> so when I went back the second summer, I had it figured out. So, you know, where we slept, we had bunk beds, and I can't remember how many guys were in that room. Uh, you know, in the rooms that we slept in. Because the other thing that the... I think one room held upwards to 40, right? Right, probably. Well, and something that the listeners might be interested in is our training facility was an old church building. So... Yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) So we were in the basement of a church building staying, you know, we had bunk beds in these rooms that probably were former classrooms for Sunday school or whatever. Uh, Hey, hey, you know what? Before we go off... Yeah, yeah. I keep... I might need to go back... And re-record like a whole explanation before this episode starts. Yeah, yeah. Because they're going to think we're talking about some kind of weird cult here. So Probably. before we go on, <laughs> yeah, hold that thought right where you're at. Okay, so to the listener, neighborhood Bible time, again, was like vacation Bible school. You'd have evangelists from all over the world, not only the country, come in and train, pair up in twos, a youth evangelist and a teen evangelist, and then they'd go out all over the country for half the summer come back at the 4th of July for their R&R week, get some rest, go back out again for another four or six weeks, come home for like a weekend sometimes or maybe a week if you're lucky, and then go right back to college. So this was a real ministry to prepare you for life, to help you get that hands-on experience. But it was seriously, you had evangelists from all over the world, but then once you're there, you're paired up and you get sent all over the United States and other countries at times to minister to churches. So when we came in, what we're describing right now, this craziness, quote unquote crazy, it was fun. It was fun. But what we're talking about was this intense training session. Like you came in, you had to learn the sermons, the stories, the songs, the, we did tricks, like literally tricks. I remember, do you know that I couldn't eat until I could juggle? Oh, really? 
I was one of those out of fifty-four guys. I was one of the three that couldn't juggle. That's Nobody tough. told me how to juggle, so I come in and he's like, "Son, we're a week into this. You can't juggle. You don't eat. I want a whole day without food, man." And then finally, I'm like, "I'm hungry." I'm like, "God help me!" And boom, I could juggle. And to this day, I can still juggle. I do remember that. Like guys were trying, like really sweating bullets, trying to get the juggling down. And fortunately, like when I was in early elementary school, I had a gym teacher that like made us learn how to juggle. So, yeah. oh, nice. <laughs> so I went in kind of knowing how to juggle. So that wasn't a struggle for me. But uh, I knew nothing, dude. I knew nothing. I mean, I remember <laughs> you and Seth Myers were the two most instrumental people God used. And we'll talk about <laughs> Seth. But uh, do you remember sitting down with me and teaching me how to outline a sermon and how to speak publicly? Uh, I I remember helping guys with that. I don't remember actually sitting down with you and doing it. But I do remember I helped quite a few guys with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, because, well, part of it, too, was I was in the preacher, you know, I was in the... Um, uh, pastoral ministries track at Pensacola Christian mm-hmm. College. So like that was the stuff I was already kind of learning. And then there were guys like you yeah. who were not in that track. And, you, you know, it's kind of like, what the heck is this, you know? Um, Did you know that I was number two in 50 years? I was only the second person that was non-preacher. Really? Or non-ministry. Wow. Wow. I was engineering. <laughs> and like, well, I'll tell you that in the story. That's what makes it crazy <laughs> that I ended there. <laughs> And then after me, to my knowledge, there was only one more guy, and I traveled with him as a partner the second year. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, so go ahead. <laughs> well, and I think, so one of the things that, you know, when I think of Neighborhood Bible Time, like, so coming from that perspective of, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to be a full-time pastor in the summer, I'm like, I want to take full advantage of this. And there were usually a couple of different tracks. People would go to like a Christian camp and be a counselor all summer, which, you know, Brother Humpshire would call pinecone Christianity. And we can unpack that a little <laughs> bit. But, you know, then, and, and then there were the guys that would go do neighborhood Bible time. And I just remember like my brother had done it and I saw a huge difference in his skills and abilities with people and with public speaking and leadership and all these things. I mean, I saw a dramatic difference with my brother, who was a fairly introverted person. And then he goes on this neighborhood Bible time thing, gets this intensive training, is out all across the country and comes back. And literally, he was a changed person. And so I'm looking at that going, you know, this is something I want, you know, and I I want to be able to be a part of that. And then as I started to, you know, explore it, I started to realize there was like this whole club and uh, club's probably an overstatement, but there was a, a network of men who had done this and other students who had done it. And it was always the people that like, they were really great guys. Yep, exactly. The best of the best. Yeah, they were like the best of the best guys. And it's like. I'm like, okay, so like I got to get some of that, you know, and that's really what what drew me uh, into it because I love the thought that I'm going to go somewhere totally different out of my comfort zone. So for those that don't know, Neighborhood Bible Time was based in Boulder, Colorado for, you know, the first 55 years of its ministry. And so for me, I grew up in the greater Cincinnati area uh, on the Kentucky side, so I'm going out to Colorado like all the other guys 
like we're totally out of our context where like our training facility is this church. We've got this really eccentric individualistic, you know, guy that's on fire for Jesus and he's pouring himself into us for three weeks. I mean, it's like the most intensive training experience. And I think you had mentioned that a little bit earlier and it was awesome because then once we actually got out into local churches throughout the country in my first summer, I think I was, I mean, I, I, I'd have to count the states, but in my two years, I was in 13 different states, Wow! you know? And I mean, I felt equipped when I got out there. Like it wasn't like, man, what in the world am I doing? Like, I felt like he really invested in us and, and, you know, gave us the tools and the confidence to be able to go out there and, and actually do a good job. And that was, you know, a huge selling point for me. And then when I went back to college, I remember telling other guys, like, you got to do this. Like, this is so worth it and it's valuable. And I think I got a couple guys to commit to it and they loved it, you know, and I think they still keep up with the ministry today and are involved to some degree. But uh, yeah, it, it was incredible. Yeah. And I think you and I probably never talked about because number one, I didn't know what it was. And number two, I wasn't a preacher boy, right. so it wouldn't even thought. But I remember, didn't James? Yeah, yeah. Uh, James? Yeah, James I Burnett, remember you got yeah. him to... Yeah, what a good guy he was. Oh, I remember that dude. He was farm boy strong. <laughs> he wasn't like Jim strong. He was farm boy strong. He was very and, strong. man, I'd watch him work on the... Remember the big bus? Yeah. He's like, I need another inch. He's like, just lift the bus with one hand. Torque the wrench with the other. That kid was a beast. He's the only 20-year-old that I knew that knew auto mechanics. He could be a machine operator. He knew how to uh, operate heavy equipment and be able to actually do, like, um, you know, leveling uh, space. Like, he, he, he could weld. He was, like, he could do everything, and yeah. he was, like, 20 years old. It was amazing. I didn't, And you'd think he was 30 because right. his maturity level. And then he had, like... Comp- I wouldn't say he's obsessive compulsive, but he was the, the most functional to the close line you can get. I remember he even had like dividers in his like underwear and sock drawer. Did you ever see <laughs> <No>. that? <laughs> yeah. And what was funny as could be is two guys and their friends all from Oregon became his roommate the next year. And they were some of the sloppiest pigs oh, ever. And one of the guys was... One of the guys was in my wedding. I mean, I was really good friends with him, but I walked in the room one day. I'm like, dude, it smells like farm animals in here. Clean your room. And James was, he was at the end of his rope. One day he was so mad at them. He grabbed all their laundry, put it on a mattress, took it to the stairwell and threw it down like the nine flights of stairs. It was so funny, man. Because he was OCD and these guys were like living on a farm. It was like the worst possible scenario for that. But by the end of the semester, he just learned to deal with it. So I was like, I'm proud of you, man. You've grown. Absolutely. Like, Tell me. About- yeah. Well, and it's so funny because you talk about my haircutting cart that I'd wheel out in the hall and do haircuts. James, he built that cart. Like, oh, that makes sense. Perfectly organized. Yeah, perfectly organized. He thought it out like super well. And it was like furniture grade. I mean, it was like nice. <laughs> like the guy was yeah, just so doing, talented. I don't know what he's doing now, but I hope it's amazing because he was a good dude and and that would be awesome. We should try to catch up with him after this episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he'd be a great guy. So, all right. So you hear about Bible time. Yep. And you go and you travel. Your first year was 97. 97. Yep. Correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. 
So then I come into the show, and then do you remember Seth Myers? Oh yeah, yep, yep, yeah. Because he was uh, he was another preacher boy at Pensacola, and he was in the missions program. So. Yep, mission prayer band. He was the head of. Yep. Yeah, and that was like if you mission per, Pensacola Christian College when we went was like what four or five thousand students. Yeah, mm-hmm. so about four or five thousand students, and they had this thing on Monday nights called Mission Prayer Band. And all it was is you come down, hang out with your friends after dinner, and they talk about a missionary around the world. I could be a missionary spotlight, and then you'd pray for them. That's it. That's all it was. But it was very powerful. We'd raise money and yeah. send it to them to help out. All willing, nothing required. It was just something you did, but. Seth Myers was one of those, he is one of the m- most remarkable humans. He is over still, I'm, I'm going to say overseas just to protect him. Uh, I don't know his situation, but he is by far one of the most passionate, sincere humans. I mean, the guy is just on fire. Yeah. And he's been, as long as I know him, consistent. I remember even when I got out and I was, to, to give you a testament of his character, ladies and gentlemen, what kind of <laughs> what kind of organizations don't want donations? Okay. When I got out of college, we were doing really well. I love Seth. I knew what he was doing was just huge. And he was serving God and he was going to serve God to his death. And it literally almost came to that many times. Um, but I remember writing, I'm like, dude, can I help you? Can I help you? Can I help you? No, no, I'm good. No, we're good. God's providing all our needs. He's not like, yeah, send me more and I'll save up. He's like, no, just keep it. Give it to somebody else who needs it. And I'm like, what? And then he never once has ever, as far as I know, been, hey, can I have money or this or that? And one time I got so frustrated, I'm like, dude, what's your favorite food? Just tell me that. And I remember he's like, him and his wife like mac and cheese. So I found a way to ship mac and cheese over there legally where he could get it. They wouldn't steal it. It wouldn't be like, you know, confiscated or something crazy. Yeah. But um, dude, if you like mac and cheese, I'll send you a cart of mac and cheese, man. Just keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. But that guy to me was unusual when I first met him because he was so over the top passionate. Yeah. But it was sincere. Yes. And I I don't know if I ever met anybody like that. I met a lot of passionate over the top people where they were usually like TV evangelists, fake. Right. Just give me money, not real. This guy had a heart for God and people. Yeah. So I'm coming down to the end of this, this semester, you know, two semesters. And then you're thinking, what am I going to do with my summer? And like Noah and I were talking about, there was like a, when you learned about what neighborhood Bible time was, there was like this, um, it was like a privilege. And they really had stringent, stringent standards and interview processes and multiple interviews. And then when you got there, <laughs> that doesn't mean you're traveling. Right. That means you're there. Yeah. You have to earn it. You have to finish. And they did not feel bad about sending you home because- they wanted people that love God, love kids, and and they're going to keep consistent on the circuit. And when Noah and I tell you we woke up at 5 and worked till 12, that's not an exaggeration. We got what was called a Bible time 5 every day. Bible five time, Bible time 5 is what, Noah? Yeah, you get five minutes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes five minutes. But what is it? It's, it's adult nap yeah, it's time. It's adult nap time, absolutely. It's adult nap time. And that is what Brother Holmesher did. He did those morning calisthenics, worked all day, all night. But he took a five to 30 minute nap, never four minutes, never 31, five to 30 minutes. And I'm not kidding. I can speak even to this day. My productive time, most productive times of life are when I'm doing that kind of schedule with a, a, a midday nap. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And I think that's that was something that really uh, 
helped me, especially in college, was doing, you know, that 20-minute power nap in the middle of the day just to get that mental boost. And it's interesting, like Boss, he did that, you know, that was part of his routine. And if you look at other great leaders, like that's part of their routines too, you know. And so yep. it's it's actually a really great habit to do. And some people might look at it like, what in the world? But it's like, actually, if you just take that time and kind of recenter yourself, uh, you can be a lot more productive, especially if you're doing, you know, entrepreneurial work and, you know, you're working those long hours and putting in those longer days. And But you have the flexibility to be able to, you know, take a break and do something like that. I mean, that that would be a good practice, I think, for anybody to get into. And certainly something that, like, if I, you know, when I work from home even, I'll do that kind of thing uh, just to take a break and 15, 20-minute nap and makes a big difference in your productivity and just, I mean, I could talk about that forever because I think that's uh, that's a really powerful life habit, actually. Yeah, and if you're listening, you're like, I can't even fall asleep in 15 minutes. You'll learn to. Yeah. I can, to this day, lay down consistently. I mean, it's the exception. Within 30 to 60 seconds, I'm out. Yeah, totally. And I mean completely out. And then the other thing that I've never mastered, I'm too, like, I worry too much and I need to get over that. But do you remember boss could literally say, I'm going to wake up at 347 <laughs> and wake up at 347, <laughs> like an alarm clock. Yeah. And we'd be traveling time zones. If you've traveled a lot for business or pleasure, it messes up your head. <laughs> and this guy, no matter where we went, I mean, it was just like a rooster with a built-in alarm clock. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. No, he was really amazing in that regard. I think the thing that, you know, like he could not have kept his schedule if he didn't do that. You know. Oh yeah, you would have died. I mean, but that guy had it charges your battery. So if you're listening to Noah and I and you're gonna take one thing away, this is one powerful thing for your life. Go ahead, take a midday nap, five to thirty minutes, and even if you lie there quietly with your eyes closed, just at least rest your body. I think the first few times I was a little groggy when I got up, but soon the groggy goes away fast yeah. and you just become crystal clear. Crystal clear. Yeah, well, and I think this is, I think the thing that's really powerful is like the older you get. So, like now that I'm in my <clears throat> early 40s, my morning time, I'm so much fresher in the morning and I can get a ton done. When you get that nap, it's almost like getting that reset to where you have a second morning, you know? Yep. I agree. So, it's really, really a powerful thing and of course you know if somebody's listening and they're you know 25 they're probably like you know mocking us right now but <laughs> the order you get it's like it really makes a huge difference well and i think for us we had the benefit of watching boss yeah. and we're seeing this 75 year old run circles around yeah. us i mean energy wise and just 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 mental sharpness like we're all like oh, i can't think i'm tired right. and he's like what are you talking about let's go blah, blah, blah. and he's like just on top of it yeah right? So my so I do have a confession. So, oh uh, yeah, you get kicked off the circuit for this one. Buddy. I know. So, <clears throat> my second year, I had kind of learned some of the the schedule, the routine a little bit better. Whenever it came time to pick my bunk, because I was a, a veteran guy, I had I think I got to choose. So I chose a bunk that specifically had a very uh, low profile to the bunk above it. And I got the bottom one. 
And in the morning, <laughs> after calisthenics, instead of like going to devotional time, because I would always fall asleep, I'd go back in my bed and I could slip in there and no one would realize I was in bed and I would get another 45 minutes of sleep like every day. Oh, you dog. Yeah. That's why you were so happy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know how many push-ups I did for that? I don't think I I, I never got caught. <laughs> so now oh, after God all these knows. years, this is, God knows this Noah. is my confession. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, he'd make us drop. Do you remember that? Drop and do push-ups. Oh, yeah. You do something wrong? Drop and do push-ups. Yeah, drop and do push-ups. Yeah, totally. And his theory was you control the flesh, you control the mind. You know, yeah. you, it, if you let your flesh get out of hand and get fat and lazy... And, you know, you can't keep control of yourself, then you can't control anything else. So he started there. Well, and you think about that, too. Like, he wanted you to make sure that your energy and that, you know, you were being dependent on God and not yourself. So, like, your listeners... Yep. He'd say, how many times you say, be in the spirit, not the yes. flesh? If you're getting tired, you're in the flesh. Yes. Yes. And, and so for your, for your listeners, you know, if they're already worried about this being a cult, like, we couldn't drink caffeinated drinks... You know, he didn't want us like getting all caffeinated up. He wanted us to actually depend on God to ha- to have the strength and the energy. And that, you know, we weren't pounding five hour energy or Monster Energy drinks or you know, which weren't in existence back at that time. But you know, he really didn't want us try- being dependent on anything else other than God. And he was a great example. Yeah, and he was super smart. Like he didn't have a nutritionist, right? But he's like, you guys don't drink any soda. Right. You do not have any coffee. He's like, do not eat sugar. And he knew the detriment that we eat sugar in everything, everything. today. I mean, our quote unquote health food has sugar in it. Yeah. And he knew, he's like, you cut out sugar, man. You're so much healthier. Yep. And I remember being on the circuit and I, I really did. I did everything I could to keep to the Me diet, too. to keep to the schedule. Me too. Because I knew there was wisdom in it. Yeah, because you'd get sick. <laughs> you'd get sick if you yep, did That's what I was just going to say. My throat from speaking mm. so much and i didn't again i wasn't a preacher boy right. i was not taught use your diaphragm yep. it swelled up no oh, man like i couldn't button my collar of my shirt wow and i remember that it happened after i forget what happened but i was almost like forced to eat i know this sounds crazy but somebody like forced me almost like you're gonna offend me and i remember being like i called brother home show like dude listen i don't want to like hurt offend people cause trouble he's like just eat the bowl of bowl you know eat it just just eat it just shut them up and eat it so i'm like okay okay and so it wasn't i just wanted to obey because i do believe that you know uh, what's the bible say it's better to be obedient than sacrifice right. so i was trying to be obedient to god to brother homeshire to follow the rules and some of you listen like you're crazy well that's fine but i'm gonna sleep good at night and i'm gonna face god knowing i did my best yeah yeah but um anyways i remember cheating that and then that's when my neck <laughs> swelled up and for the four weeks after that, never went back down. I struggled to talk. I struggled. And I remember having just enough energy for the rally. Then I'd stop talking the whole other time. Then I'd talk for the rally. Then I'd shut up the whole other time. Just to save my voice. You get through four more weeks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Well, and I had I had different, you know, partners that would come and go that had trouble with their voices. But they were they were the guys that were cheating. It was like every time it was a guy that was cheating and like I was like you, I just tried to keep to the regimen because I was looking at it like, you know, this is clearly what works. This guy's been doing this for a long time. You know, I'm just gonna do it. And you know, I, I wasn't a big soda guy, anyways. However, I would when I go to churches, 
<laughs> I, I, the only where place I would cheat was I would I would mention that I might like chocolate cake or brownies or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so I got some of that, but I did not. Uh, I didn't drink the sugary drinks and stuff like that because it just screws up your voice and you know you're talking all day. I mean, it's like all day you're just you know talking away. So I didn't want want that to get all screwed up. And sometimes too, like I mean, I was put in situations where I mean, I'm talking to 300 teenagers at night and I don't have any you know microphone. So it's like yes, and we did it right. It's crazy. We did it, you know. So, but if your voice is all screwed up, you can't do that. Or you can, it gets more screwed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you thrash it like a drill yeah. sergeant. But So, hey, talk real quick to the pastors listening out there and the youth leaders. Yeah. Um, talk to them about what a day looks like for Neighborhood Bible Time. So, as evangelists, we've talked about our perspective this whole time. And I'll go back to my story, because it is kind of funny. But I want you to talk about a day in the life of an MBT rally. Because yeah. there's pastors out there and churches that are like, we're going to do these rallies ourselves. And I can understand that thought because I never saw NBT. Right. And my I didn't even see VBS at that point. Right. Um, so there's people who do VBS every year. There's pastors who do um, their own program every right. year. But talk about what NBT is, like yeah. going through like the day and the program, because it is morning to night. And I think a lot of people don't do it because it is intense work. Yeah. But there's also intense fruit from yeah. it. Yeah. So... The, so go ahead and talk about a day in the life, so to speak. Yeah, so like if you're looking at, you know, usually neighborhood Bible time would have kicked off um, probably like on a Sunday night uh, with like teens and, you know, you're doing a teen program usually from six to nine o'clock at night, uh, starting on a Sunday night. But then come Monday morning, uh, you've got at nine o'clock at the church, it starts. So usually, usually as an evangelist, you're at the church by 8 o'clock. The rally starts at 9 o'clock. One guy is with um, with the younger children, the elementary age. The other guy has the middle schoolers for pretty much the 9 to 12 block. And we can go into more specifics of what those are. But you have that once you break all the kids, you know, go home, you have lunch, you might go back, take a brief nap, and then you're out canvassing, telling people, hey, man, there's this awesome neighborhood Bible time program. You're trying to get kids. You're trying to get teenagers. You know, we were really trained on how to find, you know, houses where we knew there were kids. So you always look for play equipment, you know. You look for the bikes in the yard. You look for the minivans. You know, you didn't waste your time in houses that, you know, had a sports car and a uh, perfectly groomed, yeah, lawn. perfectly groomed lawn. You know, it's like there aren't kids there, and so <laughs> <laughs> you know, you did everything you could, and you were out for, I don't know, three four hours. I mean, I was in Houston, Texas. It was 110 degrees out, and we're out every afternoon. You know, canvassing for kids and teenagers. You do that. You come back. You might have a little time to freshen up before you have dinner with, you know, either the pastor and his family or somebody in the church and their family. So. You know, you're having dinner with these people and you're trying to talk to them, kind of entertain. I hate to say entertain, but, you know, it. Yeah, be social, be social. and be on. Yeah. You're always, always on. Always on, you know. So you have that. And then by, you know, <clears throat> I don't know, five, five, five thirty, you're at the church again, 
kids are rolling, teenagers are rolling in six o'clock, you're going with a teen program till nine o'clock. And that teen program, I mean, like we said, this is a program on steroids. So it's not, um, you know, where it's just in a classroom and a boring lecture. I mean, it's like they're getting there and you're having exciting games and you're running the games and you're running in and out of that church, you know, to ball fields, to play activity games outside. And, you know, you're working with huge groups. I mean, I was working with, you know, 300 teenagers at a time sometimes, and you're managing all these uh, youth workers trying to help you with this, put all these games on. And I mean, it was high energy. You're going after it. After your game time, you come back. There was a a preaching time usually that the evangelist who uh, was not running the games usually was the guy who would preach that night. So sometimes you would, you know, alternate. Sometimes you'd do it every night. It just depends. Uh, And then usually at the end of the preaching, you might have some food, you know, pizza, refreshments, whatever. But like you did that every day. Friday was the day you didn't do it because that was uh, like a parent program night. So parents would come and you did a special award ceremony and for all the kids you were handing out uh, additional uh, trophies and prizes and ribbons and whatever for kids who you know, were saying memory verses and attendance and all those kind of things. And uh, man, there's so many details. It's like talking about this, I'm like, there's so many details and nuance that like I just... <laughs> I'm not even going into, you know, it's like, I mean. I know, there's no way we can unpack this all. And I always said, I truly would love, if I ever get the opportunity, because there's other things I know God has me doing. If I ever the opportunity, I'd love to write a book of just all the learn, all the life lessons I learned from Bible. Oh, man. And I really think I could fill a whole book and give people true content that they can grow from. Like right here. Let's just unpack a little bit of what you're saying. If you didn't catch it, We'd wake up in the morning, coordinate everything, set it up. So obviously we need good nutrition, good balance, good time management, good consistency. Then when we're there, we're managing children all morning. Yeah. And these were like five years old to about 10, 11. I think that was rally time, right? right? 10 years old? Uh, probably, well, fifth grade, fifth grade. So fifth grade. So whatever that years is. old. Yeah. So then once that was over, we go home and eat and then we go right back out in Canvas. And you could be in Utah, you could be in Boston, you could be in Tennessee, you could be in Vegas like I was, like Noah, you know, he's <laughs> yeah. in Houston, I'm in Vegas. <laughs> Great church, but I, you could literally boil an egg on the sidewalk. Then you go home, you shower quickly, you eat quickly, and you go back and prepare but when Noah was saying we'd lead songs and we'd play games, I'm not, I, it's hard to show you, but if you even had a small church with a youth group of like 10 to 15 teens, these would be so exciting and fun. Yeah. They'd blow up to like a hundred, sometimes 200 kids. You know, you always have that freak rally that goes to a thousand, but praise God for those. But I mean, you literally have hundreds of kids and I love teens. I think Noah, you love, love teens, teens too, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So Noah and I, the only difference between Noah and I is, <laughs> I'll go back. I'm not, I'm jumping around, man, so That's much. All right. But bro, I'm, I was the anomaly for Bible time, <laughs> like the whole time. Brother Homeshire and Tun came up to me and they looked at me my second year and they said, Dave, they said, I know that every second season evangelist becomes rally time. <laughs> 
And they said, the rally time guy's the leader. <laughs> but we both talked about this, and you're going to stay with teens. <laughs> They're like, we've never done this before. You're still going to lead. You're still in charge of all the organization and pastors, but you are not working with children. And I'm like, thank you, God. I did not want to work with children. I love teens. I love adults. That's where God put my heart. But little kids, forget it, dude. Forget it. So did you, oh, you, so you actually had the privilege of working with the kids though, right? It was a blessing, right? A blessing. <laughs> yeah. So my first year I was the, uh, I was not rally time because it was my first year. So I worked with the middle schoolers and then the teens at night and loved it. And my second year coming back, they, um, they thought I did such a good job that I actually got to teach, uh, the other evangelists how to work with middle schoolers because they had gotten so many good reports about the work I was doing with middle schoolers. But yeah, and it takes, it takes a communication set of skills it, to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Oh, and it takes a real passion for it too. And I mean, I was really, uh, I just love those kids. I mean, you know, you would show up and, you know, you've got kids there that, uh, you know, who knows what their family situation was or, you know, you just never know what they what they were dealing with or coming coming from, and you could tell with some of those kids that you know they just had some some tough situations, and to be able to get in there and to be able to share the love of God with them and to be real with them, an adult and an an adult to them that actually cared and loved them and was praying for them and you know talking to them about Jesus, but you know, even just talking to them about their day um, was really powerful and something that really I loved. And I, I didn't feel like, like the second year I was the rally guy. So rally time. So I, I was with the, with the children, but I didn't enjoy that as much. I didn't feel like I could connect with them the same way, even though some of the, you know, those kids had maybe similar situations or whatever, but they didn't have the same maturity level to be able to connect. And I don't think I connected, you know, I just don't connect well with probably elementary age children as I do with middle school and high school age kids. Yeah. And, and as a listener, you're hearing two guys who have a heart for teens. So there's other guys who ate it up and love working with the kids. Loved it. They did magic tricks and they sung songs and they told these intense stories and come back tomorrow for more. Right, but like me and Noah, what we were talking about that when we say sing songs, we were trained to bring these kids up to a frenzy, yeah, a literal almost frenzy where they're getting all their energy out, and then you slow down the the next song's a little slower, and they don't realize it, and the next song's a little slower, and they don't realize it, and the next song's just calm, and then they're ready to hear the preaching, and it's a process. So these are the life skills that we learn. You build them up and you bring them down, but that was after games. Noah, talk about the games, because this wasn't Duck, Duck, Goose. Talk about some of the insane... I actually watched a young man... I'll never, remember Colin Dethridge? Yeah. Great guy. He passed away. Did he really? Yeah. He was a good dude. He died, and I think it was a freak snowmobile accident. Wow. If I remember correctly. Yeah, it was a few years ago. But I was at his church, and we were running a two-week rally, which was very unusual. I don't even know they did such a thing. And I'm, we're there for two weeks doing this rally. And when it was going on, um, we were playing big ball. <laughs> so <laughs> big ball was a big ball 
But you picture 25 kids on one side, north, let's say, 25 kids south, let's picture a square, and they're on the lines of the perimeter of the square. And in the middle, you put a ball. And then you call numbers, and they run to the ball and have to bring it back to their side. Well, one of the games, this kid ran, bounced off the ball, and he snapped his arm where it was literally hanging there. Oh, man. Hanging. Like, I think there was even a little compound fracture action going oh, my on goodness. through the skin. Wow. And I was like, hey, man, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay, Mary. Hold on. So I walk him over to Colin. <laughs> Colin takes him to the hospital, meets his parents. They end up coming to church. Wow. You know, it was a great experience, and it all worked out. His sister was there. She's like, is my brother going to be okay? I'm like, yeah, he's going to be fine. <laughs> and we just went on with the rally, and everybody was okay. But these were hardcore oh. games. Like, So talk about some of the games you were. I mean, I remember some of the tube games. and oof. Oh, yeah. What was it like? There was a... Uh... Spoke tackle, tube tug. Yeah, which is essentially tackle football. Yeah, tackle football uh, with no pads and no... <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no weight classes. Yeah, no weight cl- Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. <laughs> you got the 200-pound kid throwing the 113-pound kid. Yeah, I actually got to the point with that game where I was like, I don't know if we should be playing this game. Like, it was, it was pretty intense. And some of those kids, I mean, it was like... Especially if you got kids that played on the local high school football team. I mean, then it was, you know, it was a totally different story at that time. I loved it, dude. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I mean, other than that one extreme injury that worked out for the best, I mean, I love it. I remember one time we got dropped off. I won't say the names because they abandoned me with a gang fight. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. It's like, I think it was 1 a.m. and we were out canvassing trying to get teens for the next day. Oh, man. And we saw this group of kids and I see the cars. I'm like, dude, they're about to fight. And these guys are like, no, they're not. I'm like, dude, they're about to fight. So we stop, get out of the car and they took off. Wow. In the car, left me there. And I'm like, wow, did this really just happen? (laughs) And then after, because this is before cell phones, they come back later and they're like, oh, like, well, we had to go all the way around. We didn't want to block traffic. I'm like, really? <laughs> and those kids ended up coming. Wow. And we convinced them to not fight, get their aggression away out, or they won't go to jail. It's not illegal. And they came and had fun and made friends. It was Oh, awesome. that's cool. It, it was really cool to that's see. Cool. And I didn't get stabbed at 1 a.m. in a strange place. <laughs> well, you know, and I think one of the cool things about Bible time, too, is like, you know, it's some of these experiences, and I don't know how, you know, what your experiences were like, but... As I traveled, you know, I traveled by plane, by train, and by bus. And the only way I didn't travel was I didn't travel um, in, in car, but I didn't travel by boat. So I traveled in every different way. But you're going to these towns, and you're meeting these pastors and these youth pastors and these other people at these churches that are just on fire for God, loving Jesus, and you're able to go in there and and be an encouragement and a blessing to them. But the thing was, they were such an encouragement and a blessing to me. I mean, I was in this church in, uh, where was it? We were in uh, Chantilly, uh, Virginia, so D.C. And they were bussing in kids from all over. And we had tons of kids that were coming from all over. And I, I, every night we were probably in the two to 300 teens every night. And we got such a mixed bag and they were rough kids. I mean, it was not, these were not just, 
like, you know, prim and proper church kids. I mean, it was just, it was a, a very uh, rough crowd. But the youth pastor there, he was this shorter guy. He had a really kind of bad limp, but he loved those kids to death. And just, I mean, there were times that, you know, tense moments and stuff. And he would just get right in there with those kids and just love on them. And like those kids loved him and he loved them. And it was just such a powerful thing to see him just giving so much of himself to kids that, you know, their family situations were a wreck that, you know, their neighborhoods were riddled with drugs and alcohol and all these, you know, societal ills. But this guy, man, he was just in there, like, really loving them with the love of Jesus. And, like, that made a huge impression on me, you know, being around people like that, that just gave themselves and poured themselves out into others. And I think that, to me, that's such a great life principle that, you know, it's not about me. (laughs) You know, it's really about others and what, you know, even in my job now, you know, it's not about me. It's about, like, how can I help others? How can I help them succeed and do better. And, you know, that's a huge life lesson I think I took away from Bible time for sure. And that actually is a perfect transition. Let's get back to Bar- Brother Holmshire, the boss. Yeah. So can as a listener, again, we love you. Thank you for listening. We hope you're learning and, and gaining some some information that you can apply to your life and do. But uh, this is not scripted, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> We're jumping around. But what you're seeing with that love, that unconditional love, that sincere love, that true caring, that to me is boss. That was boss all the way. Yes. Um, and that's why when he was hard on us and he was hard on the evangelists to the point of like grown men basically in their 20s could cry, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. But he loved them. Yeah. And he'd go back and he'd put their arm around and he'd pray with them and he was such a good guy. He wasn't there to be a jerk. He wasn't there to push. And I never felt he was a jerk. Right. I always looked at it as he's pushing us in love. like Or like he's pushing me. Right. And it doesn't matter his reason. He's pushing me and I'm going to be a better man for right. it. Just trust the system and, and do what he says. Yeah. But um, I remember, you remember Columbine, the shooting? Yeah. And were you there that year? We went to Columbine? So a month after Columbine, I actually went uh, to Denver and did a youth internship at a church in Denver. And I actually got to go visit uh, a couple of the kids that were victims in that shooting in the hospital. Um, which yeah, so you did that after Bible time. That was your yeah, summer Yeah, that was Bible my time. summer after Bible time, yeah. Yeah, summer 99. Yeah, and, yep. And that's why I, was, what, why I brought that up is so I traveled 98 and 99. And I remember that was such a heightened state yeah. of affairs and shock. And I remember going to the school and there was a fence and a wall and you could like leave flowers. But I remember Brother Holmes was just in love talking. There were security guards all around. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yep. There were security guards all around because all the press, all the media. And, and I remember Brother Holmes just everywhere he went, he told people, oh, Jesus. Everywhere. And I remember him <laughs> taking a security guard with a gun and touching her hand. And her just totally just disarming, not disarming her gun, but her her person. And he led her to the Lord right there. Wow. And it was just just the love like exuded from this man. And it was sincere and real. 
and wherever you went. But I'm amongst this like massacre and among this just chaos of reporters and people. We he was took us there because you know so close to where we were at, and then he's just everywhere we go. Tell people oh, Jesus. Remember balloons? Oh yeah, yeah. So branding. Let's talk about branding. <laughs> so for the business people branding. listening, if you're still listening, you know branding is making your brand known. Well, Jesus was Brother Holmes' brand. And I remember him holding up a balloon. He's like, this is five cents. We blew up hundreds, thousands of balloons a summer each. <laughs> and he's like, that's five cents. It's like, every time a balloon goes out, you better write a Bible verse on it. <laughs> it's like, when that kid takes that balloon home, I want him to say, mom, dad, what's this? He, he was all about branding, branding for Jesus. Yeah. And that was like, again, if you're running a business, if you're doing something, <laughs> put a t-shirt on, dummy. Don't not brand, you know, shameless promotion all the time, always talking about, always positive, always getting your brand out there in a positive light. And that's something that I learned through Neighborhood Bible Time. Yeah, I mean, we had we had songs about Neighborhood Bible Time. Remember that? Like, I mean, so we are boosters, boosters, you know, we had a we had a cheer, the booster cheer, you know, there were ribbons and we'd make ribbon spray. So when you walk through the airport, you know, you had this thing in your shirt pocket or your, or your, you know, on our travel days, actually at that time yeah. we had to travel with suits. And so then, yep, you too. know, we yep. had to, we, we wore ribbons uh, on our suits as, and they would serve as conversation starters. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know how many conversations I had with people like, what in the heck is that? You know? And yep. it was all that kind of branding messaging. And, you know, I talked to countless people about neighborhood Bible time and Jesus as a result of just wearing my ribbons, you know, through airports and train stations and wherever. Yep. And then what about like knocking on people's doors? You're inviting them to come to the rally and they're like, hold on. I can't, I I mean, I can't, I was a West Coast guy. Yeah. So I did the two summers I traveled, I did all West Coast states, right? Midwest and West Coast. And I can't tell you, there must've been at least a dozen, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're knocking on doors, I'm talking a dozen people who ran in their house, come back, and they have ribbons from 40 years wow. ago that they kept. <laughs> That's how exciting Neighborhood Bible Time is and what an impact it had on their life. That when you're at Neighborhood Bible Time as a kid, you earn these ribbons. And as you earn these ribbons, you make this ribbon for this big, colorful badge. And some kids have them where they're down to the floor for all the things they earn. But it teaches them you reap what you sow, hard work and determination. It teaches them all good life skills. But these kids literally took it. And I remember one lady was the sweetest one. She brought out, remember the award Bibles? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't even remember what we gave award Bibles away for, but it was some kind of award. It was a gift you want. Now, we give a Bible to anybody, but there was a special award Bible. (laughs) And she came back to the door. And she, you could tell this woman did not have an easy life and she had some struggles and she was genuinely smiling. She pulls this belt, opens it up and has her ribbon spray in the Bible. And she's like, I got this like, you know, seriously, 35, uh, 40 years ago. She's like, I trusted Christ as my savior then. And she's like, even though I've had some horrible things happen to me. I've always had peace. Wow. I've always had God's peace with me. And he, she's like, I heard about God and never about that. That's powerful. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but we hear that a lot on the circuit, yeah. but that specific woman really stuck out to me just because of, um, 
I guess we're such so superficial. Right. I mean, myself included, you know, our frame of reference is like, oh, I'm having a hard month or I'm having a hard year. You know, I can't buy a new car or I can't, you know, I can't, I can't buy new clothes or I can't, you know, take an 18th vacation. And like, you know, there's people who are just, am I going to get raped tonight when I sleep on the right, street? Yeah, exactly. So our frame of reference is we all need to love God and love each other. Yeah. Hey, so, so I got to ask you a question. So tell me, what was your experience like when you got off the airplane in Denver and met Brother Humpshire and going to wherever the bus was to go back? What, what, do you remember that? The first time when I got off the plane? You yeah, mean? like when you got off the plane, you're no longer in Massachusetts or wherever you Yeah, but I'm from. going to training. You're going you're to training. Going. <laughs> yeah, you're like the new recruit, man. You know, it's like... <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't remember. I don't remember if it was the first year or the second year, but I remember coming in late. My plane got in late. Everybody was already there. I was the last person to get there. So somehow... But it, that was the second year. The first year, I don't remember. Oh, what do goodness. you remember? So I remember you get off the plane. You're in Denver. like, And at that point, I had not flown very much at all. There wasn't all the security. So that he was able to get you at the gate. And there were other guys at the gate. But like... Oh, I do remember yes. this. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Keep going, keep going. So in the terminal, he makes you stop and learn the booster cheer. Yep, and the booster cheer. <laughs> Tell them what it is. We our are boosters. boosters. Yeah. Everywhere we go, people got to know. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. And we sung that in front of hundreds of strangers who thought, <laughs> what are they doing? Are they on crack? But they were entertained. They were, well, they, they were entertained. Well, and it was funny because Colorado at that time, so whenever I was, whenever, let's see, was it my first or second year, we were in Boulder. We were on Pearl Street. Yep, and absolutely. we're going around, and I can't remember if it was laundry day or something, but I'm in Pearl Street, and I start talking to this young guy, and he was there, he, he was like, totally looked like a hippie, and he was living on a commune in the mountains there in Boulder, and he's like, yeah, I grew up, you know, Baptist, and I went to the, you know, summer camps and all that stuff. And he's like, you know, I'm just not sure if that's the right way or not. And so I'm living on this commune and I've got this guru. And like, it was just, you know, there was that kind of weird stuff going out there, going on out in Colorado at that time. So then it's like, you know, you get off the plane and there's all these like young, clean cut looking guys singing this crazy booster cheer song about neighborhood Bible time. People are like... In suits. in suits and it's like okay like it's almost like well we're in colorado i guess <laughs> yeah and the thing is too just so you know he, brother Holmesher, he knew that was unusual but the reason he did that was to get us out of our yeah comfort out of zone. the comfort zone his his whole thing was kill the flesh feed the spirit and if you ever do statistics there's more people who say they'd rather die than speak publicly <laughs> There's more people who say their number one fear is speaking publicly. So when you get right off the plane, another life lesson, jump in the fire. Right oh, now, jump right in. He made us sing as a group. And I don't know about you, know, but I can't sing, brother. Oh, man. 
singing yeah, directions. Terrible. It's two of my worst skills in life. <laughs> well, we'll have to record your album here coming up, you know? Oh yeah. No, that will not happen. <laughs> that, literally that, that is not going to happen. But yeah, it's interesting. So like, you know, and you talk about boss and, you know, putting you out of your comfort zone and all that stuff. And, you know, even you talking about him, you know, going up to people and telling them about Jesus and, and, you know, another thing that really sticks out to me with him was, <clears throat> you remember, he would just come up to you and put his hand on your shoulder and pull you over close and just start talking to you, just like a yep. grandfather. Like, he he was like your grandfather with the energy of a teenager, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he'd tell you he loved yes. you and he meant And it. he would pray with you. And remember when he would pray, sometimes he'd just pray, like... He'd be talking, and all of a sudden, like he wasn't talking to you anymore. He was talking to God. Remember that conversational prayer? He'd yes, call yes. He'd say it's conversational prayer. I remember watching him drive, and sometimes <laughs> you know, man, there's so many stories. So many. Do you remember the bus? Fifty of us guys in the bus. We're going up the, the mountains mountain. of Colorado <laughs> where cars can't fit. We're in the big giant bus. yellow bus, <laughs> and the dude was praying. And sometimes he'd close his eyes. And I'm like, open your I eyes. I do remember that. I swear. <laughs> That's so true. I do oh, remember man. that. There was, there was angels holding yeah. that bus from falling off that It's ledge. so funny you bring that up because I, like, in my prep for this conversation, like, that was one of my notes I wrote down. I'm like, oh, we got to talk about the bus because it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's legit, though. Guys, you have never met anybody like Brother Homeshire, and I wish he was still alive. I made sure to bring my kids out to see him, and we spent some time with him. And I mean, I just love that man. And and we're not going to get into it because it's not my story. This is about God and NBT and Noah. And, and I'll share a little bit, but man, I can't even explain the the hundred ways that God used neighborhood Valentine, Brother Homesher, and Tim Tutton, and even a guy. Did you know Paul Romig? Uh, no. He came in. He came in a couple times and spoke to us. But um, my first summer. I had a really dysfunctional past and childhood and b- boss didn't really. Okay. When, I don't, let me finish the story. Yeah, I'll yeah. bring us up and don't let me forget the hugs. Do you remember the hugs boss? Oh, man, yeah. You didn't, you didn't, you weren't a sissy for hugging. You hugged, yeah. man. Men hugged, men cried, yeah. men loved each other biblically, yeah. not weird, yeah. but biblically. Yeah, right. And, it, and I mean, I remember thinking I never, I'm, I'm getting emotional. I never, had that my whole life growing up and for a man to love me and to hug me and to tell me like god has a special plan for me and him and tim, tim tun would do that yeah and so let me go back to the story only because it brings into the character of boss when we talk about boss boss was not without sin right but boss was a perfect man and what i mean by that is perfect means to be whole that doesn't mean you don't make mistakes and sin you get it right and when I watched Boss, I got to spend most of the first summer back at the office. I'm going to explain why. So I got to see him literally 18 hours a day. And this man was a workaholic. And at that point in my life, that was the one good thing I was I was good at. I, was a, I could work, man. So what happened was that guy, Seth Myers was telling me about Neighborhood Bible Time. And I'm like, what the heck? What is Neighborhood Bible Time? And he kept telling me about neighborhood Bible time and I kept blowing them off. And then do you remember I was engineering that first year? I had two backpacks, one for classes before lunch. I'd run back to my room, switch out the backpacks, grab a bite to eat, 
go right to the next classes till five at night. Then you eat real quick. Then you go to lab seven to nine, three nights a week. Then you have church Wednesdays. It was insane schedule. So to all my friends and all people out there, engineers, man, I give you props because I only made it a year and a half and I'm out. <laughs> but no, I didn't fail the program. I just really felt like that was not, <laughs> thankfully, that wasn't God's will for my life. I was not smart enough. I had to work way too hard to keep up. But anyways, so one day, for whatever reason, I'm early for chapel. Hmm. And we always had chapel. Was it 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock? Yeah, something like that. Do you remember 10.30 that? 10.30 or something like that. I can't remember. No, what was it? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, like three or four days a week we had chapel. And I look forward to chapel. Yeah. Chapel was a time where we'd break in our day. They'd bring a pastor or a preacher in or a speaker in from anywhere in the country or the world. And they'd, they'd share with us. And it was awesome. I loved it. Well, I was always late and I was always just making it on time. Well, this one day, I don't know why, I was early, like really early, like 10 minutes early. <laughs> so I come in and I'm talking to these two or three girls that I knew we were all friends with. And as we're talking, Seth comes up and that's, you know, that passionate, like <laughs> leaning forward. If you picture somebody leaning forward and talking with their hands, like almost hunched over <laughs> talking, that's how passionate Seth was. He's like, Dave, I've been looking all over for you. I got to tell you what you're about. I'm like, Seth, I'm like, I'm not a preacher boy. He's like, just please. He's like, take this, take this. And he takes his backpack off and he gives me like this trifold brochure. <laughs> and it's for neighborhood Bible times. And he presses it in my hand. And he's like, just promise me, Dave, promise me. Just pray once. If it's God's will for you to do this, you'll do it. Promise me. And I said, Seth, you're crazy. I'm like, I am a scumbag. I'm like, I am not right with God. I'm not even a preacher boy. I'm like, this is not for me. He's like, Dave, just pray one time. I'm like, Seth, you know what? You say you're looking for me all over campus. I am early for the first time in a year. I'm like, I'm going to go up to my balcony seat. I'm going to pray and let's just see what God does. And this was on a Friday. I go up to the balcony almost in disbelief which is the best and the worst type of prayer. Worst because it shows how much of a scumbag I was. Best because it shows how good God is. So I grabbed this brochure and I flipped through it. And the other thing that's weird is nobody was around me. 5,000 students, the place is packed when that bell rings. I'm only there like five minutes early now and nobody's there. Everybody else is late, but I'm early, right? So I'm looking at this brochure by myself And I'm like, all right. So I fold it shut. I say, God, and I don't know the words. It was basically, God, I promised my friend Seth that I'd pray. I don't know what you want me to do this summer, but I got to make money. I got to pay for college. I'm not a preacher boy. I went through all the list of reasons why this is totally a stupid idea. (laughs) But I'm like, God, if you want me to do this, just let me know. In Jesus' name, amen. Lift my head, blah, blah, blah. Start singing. You know, church starts. Chapel starts. Guess what the pastor... Literally, out of every speaker, guess what he speaks on? Uh, probably, probably on like uh, surrendering or giving yourself to uh, <laughs> to some kind of ministry. Specifically, what are you going to do this oh, summer? Oh, nice. That's awesome. <laughs> he That's literally awesome. spoke, what are you going to do this summer? That's awesome. So I'm like, what? So I go to my classes all day and I'm fighting this like, you know, unction <laughs> from the Holy One over here. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? All right, I'm going to call. And it's like a Friday night and it's eight o'clock at night or eight thirty. I'm like, nobody's gonna be there. I'm gonna leave a voicemail. <laughs> nobody's gonna call me back. Done. I've kept my obligation. Well, boss is a workaholic. Yeah. 
<laughs> so guess who's there to pick up the phone on a Friday night at 8, 8.30 at night? Brother Charles Holmesher. So he starts talking to me. He's like, no. He's like, this doesn't sound like it's a right fit. He's like, you know, we had one engineer, but he was exceptional. I'm like, basically, already talking to you. I know you're not. And I'm like, he's like, but I'll, I'll, this is what we'll do. Uh, me and uh, Tim Tund are coming down. You know, we're having interviews. We'll meet you then. So long story short, they come down, they meet me. And I think him and Tim kind of got in like a little argument. Tim's like, yeah, get them. And Brother Holmes was like, no. So then it ends up, they invite me to come. And he told me straight up, he's like, I don't think, you know, in his gruff voice, I don't think you're the right fit, but we're going to try it. He's like, but be ready to fly home early. I'm like, okay. I'm like, so to me, it's like, hey, if God told me to do it, I'm going to do it. I get there. I'm a mess. I mean, I'm an absolute mess. They're telling Bible stories I never heard of because I didn't go to churches, you know, as a kid. Yeah. I didn't know this stuff. They're talking about preaching, and that's where you stepped in. And Seth, you 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 don't understand what you taught me. Though, was so basic: how to outline a message, and not just a preaching message, but how to speak to the public. And now, what do I do every day of my life? You were the first person to show me that. Sweet. Like, okay, you take your main points and then your sub points. You do that. And I'm thinking to myself, but this is all a fire hose with three weeks and basically no sleep. So everything's going on. And then finally, Brother Holmesher pulls me aside and he's like, are you supposed to be here? I'm like, I don't know. I've been asking you this whole time. (laughs) He's like, well, I don't think so. That's what he said. He's like, I don't think so. He's like, I want you to take your Bible. I want you to go to the park, forget all the training everybody's doing. And he's like, I want you to... Just get with God. And when you come back, you told me yes or no, are you staying or going? I'm like, wow. And then brother Tunnan comes over because he has no idea what boss told me. (laughs) He knows it's like, boss wants you out of here. You're dead weight. And then brother Tunnan's like, hey, God has a special plan for you. And he's like, I don't know if it's with MBT or not, but I know there's something special. No, I never heard those words before. And I'm like, huh. And he's like, the first thing you need to do is you need to just go and get with God about these these issues you were struggling. I was struggling with, and he's like, "Then you come back with, with you and God what you think you're supposed to do." It's like we're going to pray for it. You're going to pray for it. We're going to talk to you about this when you get back. So I go to the park, and I'm like sitting there having one of those not conversations, but almost like arguments with God. <laughs> like not I'm arguing right. with God or having any right. clout, but like God, what? How can this be? Blah 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 blah. So I read my Bible. He shows me something. I pray. I read the Bible. Pray back and forth, back and forth. And finally, it's like I'm convinced I'm a piece of trash and I have no worth, but I'm supposed to be there. So I go back and I'm like, guys, listen. I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. I I don't know. I can't juggle. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, I suck. I understand. I I suck in every way. (laughs) I don't fit. I don't fit in with people who have trusted Christ as their savior. I don't fit in with unsafe people, people who haven't trusted Christ as your savior. So it's like, I don't fit in with anybody, but I do feel like I'm supposed to be here. And they look at each other and they start laughing. They're like, strangely, we feel the same way. That's funny. Like, this is what we're going to do. Like, you're going to stay back and work at the office all summer with boss. Wow. But they're like, it's work. And so it's like, well, everybody else is traveling and living this exciting life and getting to meet people. I'm going to be working on a machine literally older than I am, an ink press stamp. If you make a mistake, you cut your hand off. You're probably getting toxic chemicals absorbing in your skin. So I ran like a printing press 
and did all like the shipping and all this stuff from the office. And that's what I did for two thirds of the summer. But during those weeks with boss, that's when it was like, wow. Like I saw for the first time in my life, someone who says they're a Christian who lived like a Christian. Yeah. And I saw somebody who everywhere they went, God was on their mind. Yeah. And from that 5 a.m. to 11 o'clock at night, he was working with passion without fatigue because he loved God and what he was doing to help people. And that was just life-changing for me. And then I was like hyper-organized. And that's one area. Remember boss, he wasn't organized? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like physically organized. Yeah, like his it was desk. A mess, yeah. Do you remember the downstairs storage room? That was a mess. <laughs> yeah, you literally couldn't walk through it. So I have this like compulsive cleaning thing. So when I'm stressed out, I found a audiobook of Stephen uh, Covey's, what is it? The Seven Habits of Highly Effective yep. People. I found a broken tape player. And this is like in my free time, quote unquote, <laughs> at like 11 o'clock at night. And I went down there. And I played that tape, I fixed the tape player, played the tape, and cleaned that room. And when Boss came in the next day, he's like, did you do this? And then from that point on, he's like, okay, well, this kid has some use. He's organized. <laughs> and then every day after that, a relationship built and built and built until the point where he was legitimately like the closest human to me, like my grandfather. And watching him, it showed me some serious things. Like... He was sold out to the ministry, but like I talked to his daughter, Jane, yeah. she loves her dad and she's so proud yep. of him, but she had a lot of sacrifice because he was sold out to the ministry. You know, any public figure, even like you look at presidents and uh, businessmen and women and anybody who has a very public role, there has to be a sacrifice somewhere. And oftentimes the family takes yeah. it. So I learned that even the most godly of men they can cause pain to their family because they're so passionate about what they're doing. So it really showed me that you have to, and, and I failed miserably in my life, but you have to have a really good balance on whatever you're doing. Yeah. Did you learn that as well? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, you know, because one of the things that stuck out to me, uh, you know, you're talking about him being so sold out to it and you got to witness it so firsthand you know, but you were on the road and he would call, call these churches to talk to you and to see how things were going. And he was doing that for everybody. And there were, you know, 50 plus guys on the road at any given time, you know, every week of the summer. And so he's doing that. And I remember when we'd go back for R&R, &R, I think that's whenever mom Homesher would come over to the training center. Oh, man, she's a whole different episode. Yeah, she's a totally, yeah, exactly. I love Ma. But, you know, she would come over and you would get to see, like, at that stage, you know, her health was not in a great place at all. But he loved her to death. But he didn't, he probably didn't get to spend the time with her that he, you know, would have liked because he was so passionate and sold out to the, to the ministry. But you knew that, like, he really did love her, you know, uh, you know, for everything she was worth. And, and she was just a, a total diamond 
of a person. And, uh, you know, I just loved her to death. Um, yeah. And the way he, and again, I don't know, you never know what goes on behind closed doors. And, but I mean, I've talked to Jan personally, I talked to Ma personally, and what you're saying, I remember he talked so highly yeah. how much he loved his daughter and how proud he was yeah. of her. And I remember his grandsons and, you know, he was so proud of them yeah. and so much in love with them. But I never, like, as a guy who grew up without, you know, his dad and as someone who, you know, my mom was, I love my mom, but she wasn't the, like, a best, you know, yeah. friend, buddy, buddy kind of mom. Um, I don't know if they saw it, like, and or if he saw that he wasn't communicating it to them. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Because Jan had to sacrifice a lot as a right. child to see, I'm giving my dad to all these, he called us his boys. So, so I respected Jan. I respect Jan. I respect her kids. Um, you know, her husband and all the sacrifices they made. But the contribution that people who get accomplish, who accomplish a lot in life typically have to sacrifice something, yeah. whether it be their health or their families. And for boss, I saw that even though his family loved him and they understood, he sacrificed a lot of their time. Yeah. I mean, I think I remember Jan telling me that. You know, for all those years, and Boss was a wealthy man. I don't know if you knew that. He wasn't a poor man, and he solely funded NBT at times out of his pocket. I mean, what a godly, godly man. And I don't think they took a vacation for like 18 years. I mean, he was just work, 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 God, God, God. Everything was about that to the point that I went and visited him when he was, um, I don't even know what it was called, but, you know, when he was getting older and he was losing his abilities physically and mentally he was still staying in a care facility where he had his own apartment they just come in a couple times a day and check on make sure he's taking his meds yeah because by that time mom had died right yeah mom passed yeah. away yeah. they sold his yeah. house moved him to a nice place i think it was in it was in that area and then he was in this facility and i went to visit him and i remember i got food poisoning or something <laughs> oh, right man. but all things work together for good to them that love god so i come in to visit boss and I have this like food poisoning. So he had his room, a living room, a little kitchenette, and then a bathroom. But the bathroom connected into his bedroom. So if you're picturing it, like if you're visualizing this, it's a terrible job. <laughs> but you walk in the front door and the like kitchenette's on your left, the living room's in front of you. You take a left, you go into his bedroom and he's got, you know, his little area. And then you take another left and there's the bathroom. So I'm up in the bathroom at like 2 a.m. I'm not going to go into details of what I was doing, but you can figure it <laughs> out, right? But when I'm in there, I hear Brother Holmesher in his sleep in his 70s. And he's working with children like he's in a Bible time wow. rally. Even in his sleep, this man was all about telling children about Christ. And I'm listening to him, and he was vivid. And it was a lucid dream. You could tell. Well... All of a sudden, he gets to the point in the ride, and this is going on for a few minutes. This isn't just like mumbling. It's like clear as a bell. And he's like, come on, kids. Let's go outside. <laughs> and I'm in the bathroom. I'm like, hurry up, hurry right? And I'm thinking, is he going to actually go outside? Sure enough, by the time I could get up, I hear the front door shut. So I run around and I, you know, they always say, don't wake up a sleepwalker. We've all seen those Tom and Jerry episodes, right? Yeah. You never wake up a sleepwalker. Well, 
I get there and Brother Holmesher has his hand on the stairwell. And we were on the, like the third or fourth story. And I'm like, hey, boss, what are you doing? <laughs> and he turns around and his eyes are like glazed. You know, he's sleepwalking. Right. He's like, we're going down to the rally. Come on, help us. And I'm like, no, boss. I'm like, hey, I'm like, you know, the guys are down there ready. They're getting the kids. And he's like, no, we got to get the kids. I'm like, no, no, boss. The kids are safe. I need you over here. I need you over here. He's like, what? He's like, no, I got to go help the kids. He's like, no, boss. The other evangelist is down there. They got the kids. I need your help back here. And he's like, oh, okay. And he walks back in. I bring him to bed and I tuck him in. And he starts kind of like coming in out of reality and grogginess. And I tuck him in. But I told his daughter that night or that next day. I'm like, hey, this is what happened. I mean, your dad, but like, I mean, I've never met somebody so in love with God and children that he breathed it. He lived it. He slept it. And then, you know, at that point, she, for safety's sake, moved him into a full care facility. Um, But yeah, he was just a remarkable, remarkable human. So if you're wondering why we have this episode we just wanted to share a little bit in tribute to him and tribute to his family and also the ministry still continues and we're going to get into that the future the the ministry still continues so oh man we went a thousand different ways what else what are anything else what else can you share what did you learn Avery, about that yeah well you know i was just thinking uh you know just some of the life lessons i thought i could share you know a few of the things that really stuck out to me and these are things that we've said so it's almost kind of a little bit of a recap but uh you know as you were just sharing the thing that it was most vivid to me in my experience getting to know him and in my relationship with him was that he just he taught us to love Jesus with everything you had and he was that example and yes you know that has stuck with me you know, all these years later of what does that really mean to be that living sacrifice that Paul talks about in Romans and, and boss, you know, portrayed that beautifully. And then when you talk to about, um, you know, he taught us as men, what it meant to genuinely love another man in a biblical way. Like that was super powerful because, he would always tell us like, Hey guys, you know, Bible time is going to make you a better, what do you, he had this little phrase and I can't better husband, father yeah, and remember lover. That, remember that? that? We always say lover. <laughs> yep. But not, yeah. <laughs> but, but like in relation to your wife, not in, you know, your future wife, you know, <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> and it, but he, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it was, you know, and, and it was like, just trying to teach us like some, uh, biblical manhood, like that it was okay, like what was okay from a biblical masculinity perspective and that it is okay to, you know, hug another guy and to pray for him and to cry with him and, you know, to tell him that you love him and care about him. And, you know, he just, he really taught us that. And I thought that was powerful uh, because that's not something that you certainly don't hear that in our culture as much anymore. You know, it's almost like masculinity has like this weird kind of toxic air to it, but it's actually in a biblical context. Masculinity is a, is a wonderful thing and then something that should be embraced. And I thought he just did a really good job on trying to teach us that. So that stuck out to me. It really stuck out to me. Like he was all about, you know, 
like you said, coming out of your comfort zone. Like, you know, what are you doing to get out of your comfort zone and pushing yourself? And he would push you, but he would only push you so much. And then, like, when you got out there and you were in these churches, like, it was up to you to push beyond and to go beyond your comfort zone. Because now you're the one that's going to be accountable to that pastor and to all those people that have been working probably for weeks, you know, telling people Bible time's coming. And now you're there and you, you know, it's, it's go time and you're accountable and you may not be comfortable with it, but you've got to do it. And he, he kind of really taught us how to do that. The other thing that was interesting to me was he had such a focus on the local church and Yep, winning the head, the heart, and the home to Christ and His yes, church. Yes, So, you know, you were there. 25 years later, we remember <laughs> that. So it shows yeah, you. Yeah, it's powerful. That wasn't rote memorization. That was Him living yeah. it and us seeing how it was important. It yeah, was. exactly. And and I think that was what was cool, because you would go to these churches. I mean, I went to, so the very first church I went to was His home church in Springfield, Colorado. Did you know that? Yeah, was it Brighton in Colorado or Springfield? Or was it like they changed the name? Because his middle name was George, uh, was Charles Brighton Colorado. Uh, George Brighton Colorado. George, man, I can't even talk. <laughs> Charles Brighton Homeshire. And I think he was from born in Brighton, Colorado, but he might have been raised in Springfield. Yes. Is that how yeah. it worked? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Springfield was a town. It is a town of like 1,500 people. <clears throat> it's in the plains. It's in. Uh, southeast Colorado. It's about a... Yeah, I felt reverse claustrophobia there for the first... Wait, was that where Don Combs was? Do you yeah, remember Don Combs? I, Don was... Visit his yeah, church? I think Don... Yeah, I was in Don's church. Uh, he was... Yeah, but that place was the first time I ever felt reverse claustrophobia. Oh, really? There was like fields and fields and fields of, of nothing, nothing. Of like wheat. Yeah. And you could see rain, and literally the farmers would be like, "Oh, it's twenty-seven minutes away!" <laughs> yeah. Like, holy crap! Like, because it's flat, and they just knew that's twenty. You know, I mean, they were that accurate. And I remember Noah being. I was from the again from outside of Boston, right. Milford, Mass, and everything was hectic and go 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 go. It was quiet, and there was nothing you could see for literally miles. I had to go in the house. And turn on the TV or radio just to prove society was still there and the world didn't explode. Yeah. I felt so weird. But go back to your Bible story. I was like totally derailed. No, no. Well, and that was the area too where it was like, you know, what's the um, America the Beautiful? And it talks about the fields of grain and the waves of grain. You know, like that, those are the waves of grain. Yeah. I mean, it was, I remember looking out and seeing the wind hit that and just the waves that would go through that. Yeah, do you remember, like, I think I'm not advocating, yeah, gold, yeah, yeah. I'm not advocating alcohol, but the Coors Brewery was there oh. with all the, you know, the fields. And when they were making the beer, you could smell oh, it. Oh, wow. And man, the I don't even like beer, but man, that smelled amazing <laughs> when you were out there. Even Brother Holmstrom was like, he's like, I don't, I don't drink, but man, that smells good. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I, I have not been to Golden, Colorado. But, uh, yeah, it was just, it was really kind of cool because, you know, I went to that church and they had had Bible time literally since, I think when I was there, it was like the 45th year that they had had Bible time, but they kept, no pressure. yeah, well, that's it, right? No pressure. I mean, I actually invented, um, 
Captain Bible time. So I took my tablecloth, my red tablecloth, and on the back, I used duct tape, and I put a CB on the back for Captain Bible time, and I made a balloon mask, and like I came out and did this whole Captain Bible time kind of thing, and we were fighting, you know, the devil or whatever, and it was so funny because somebody, they came up to me, some of the uh, sponsors came up to me and said, Noah, like we've had Bible time for 45 years, and we've never seen Captain Bible time. Is that something new this year? And I'm like, I don't know. I just decided <laughs> to do it because you guys have had Bible time for so long. Like, <laughs> but that's a true leader. Yeah, you know, it's like just trying to take out one. Well, that's the thing. So it's like embracing the unknown. Like that was another kind of life lesson that really stuck out to me. Was you know you're going in these situations and you don't. Like you don't know the history of that church with Bible time. So like I get there and then I'm like, holy cow, this church, they've been doing this for 45 years. Like they're probably going to be sleeping on me, you know? So it's like, you got to do something to kind of freshen it up or you're, you know, you're in these other situations where, you know, you're in an inner city situation and you're not from that kind of context. And how are you going to deal with that? And how are you going to, you know, work with kids in that kind of context. And and there was every week, it was something different and unknown because you started over every week. You know, you went to another state, you went to another church, you met this whole new group of people that you, you had no prior experience with. And now you've got to lead them in this week long, probably the church's biggest event for the whole year, you know? Yep. And you remember boss used to say, this is going to show you who you are and who you're made to be. Yes. Because some of you are going to go out for a week and you're going to not want to leave. Yeah. That's the pastor's heart. Now you can convert that to business. You know, that's like the leader's heart, so to speak, the the CEO. Then you have the guys who come in like, honestly, me. Yeah. I come in and I love those people and I want to get them excited, but then I want to leave and go to the next church. That's the evangelist's heart. But then I want to come back in a year and check in and make sure everybody's doing well. You know what I right, mean? Right. So that's the salesman in me. Like that's what you saw selling stick fix in you know room two thirty nine <laughs> or wherever we were. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's just like these leadership, like these lessons in leadership were so powerful that we had to had to do. I mean, you grew up really quick. I mean, I, I remember I was nineteen years old, and I'm out there, you know, training adults that are two and three times my age on how to work with children. And then I'm running these programs, working with kids. And, and a lot of times when you're working with the teenagers, you might be working with other 19 year olds and you're just, you're the, the leader. And, you know, just the lessons that you learn from a leadership perspective, you know, from communication. Yeah. Never compete with the kids. Yeah, Remember never compete. One? You're right. Yeah, don't compete with to the To this day, I still do that. I will never. I, we got to lead the youth group at two different churches since we've been married. Um, that is a huge lesson. If you're listening, don't compete with the kids. Yeah. Don't be proud. Don't try to show them up because you can very quickly backfire in all sorts of ways. You love the kids. You help them succeed. You don't compete with them. Like you have fun with them and you can sometimes play with them, but don't compete. There's a big difference. Yes, yes. Exactly. Yep. I remember that was a big lesson. Yeah, no, that is. Yeah, that. <clears throat> yeah, that was a big one because yeah, it could just lead to <laughs> lead to all kinds of not great things because you weren't there to compete. You were there to minister, and I think that's really what he wanted you to do. 
And as a man, what did he tell us to do? Focus on the guys. Yep. Yeah. Focus on the men. The women will come in place. Yeah. Will fall in place. Not the men and women are equal. Yeah. There's not one. Yeah. Just we are men. Right. So our job is to focus on the men. Ladies, you're a woman. You focus on the women. We help each other. We grow. We're no one's better. Iron sharpens iron. We're help meets for one another, but we 100% have different roles. So that was another huge thing. The other point with that is that, you know, we're 19, 20 year olds. So. Like, we shouldn't be focusing our time on on teenage girls, <laughs> you know? Like, yep. that just becomes a distraction, you know, not that we don't care about them, that we don't tell them about Jesus and those kind of things, but, you know, there's not any kind of overcorrection there because, you know, he, the last thing he wanted was for you to fall into temptation or... Uh, get distracted or, or whatever. Like he really wanted to make sure you were keeping focused on the mission. And the mission was, you know, going and sharing the gospel with these people in these churches, with the children, with the teens, whatever. And the gospel was the, was the point, not, you know, not trying to develop all these, you know, amazing friendships. You did, yep. but it was, you know, the gospel uh, so I got 100%. And you remember Tim Tun's speech about that? I never, I didn't believe him at first, but I'll never forget. And I still to this day teach people and they still look at me like you're crazy. And they come back five years later, like, dang, that's right. <laughs> like, do you remember what he'd stand up there and say? I, I'm trying to think because there's one story that really stands out to me that he used to tell. All right. Well, let me tell this and you tell that if it's not the same. Brother Tun is a God, he was a God yes. man. He passed away of cancer. Yeah. And I love you, Brother Tun. We'll see you again. Brother Holmshire, we love you. We'll see you again. Uh, Colin Deathridge, we love you. We're going to see you again. All these great men that have passed. But um, Brother Tun, like I said, he really showed me extra love when nobody else did. And when we were in front of all the guys, you have all these guys, 18, 22-year-olds, filled with piss and vinegar, right? And he's like, stood up there. He's like, guys, I'm a homely man. He's like, I'm... 300 pounds on a good day. And he's like, I am not attractive. He's like, but when I stand up and I speak, it's like, it's a form of authority and power. And he's like, women are attracted to authority and power. And he's like, they will throw themselves at you when you're on the circuit. He's like, even me speaking about God in churches, I will consistently have women throw themselves at me. It's like, guard your minds, guard your hearts, stick to the mission. Yep. I'm sitting there and listening to it. I'm like, you know, he's kind of fat and he's not attractive and he admitted himself. But I'm like, yeah, I could see some women, but they'd have to be crazy. Yeah. And then like have other issues. Right, right. Not because he was a great man. To love him would be easy, but I'm saying attractive. Right, right. But then you see these young guys going out, and then me and you went out. And I mean, you're not just talking about teenage girls. You're talking moms and women in the church. I mean, people would throw themselves at you. So you think these politicians and these presidents, you know, I stopped casting stones because they're put in this, like, you know, these rock stars and these people who are in these high-profile positions, they're constantly being told how great they are, how wonderful they are. Oh, you're awesome. Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. And they have people throwing themselves at it. If you're not intentional about what you put in your mind and your heart and your body, you can fall 
very fast and very easy and look back and not even realize what happened. But Brother Tunnel was a man who really taught me that. Yeah, yeah. No, he definitely uh, he definitely was all about that and trying to guard ourselves. And, you know. I, what was your story about him, you were saying? Well, he always had this story about these um, two little black boys. In yes, I remember that. Down in Jacksonville, Florida. That when the bus on the bottom on the, the video bus. bus, yeah, 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 video bus, yeah, yes. the video bus, and and it was just such a, you know I can't remember all the details now, but I remember him talking about these two little I think they were twins and you know that came from just kind of a bad situation, but they would come to the video bus faithfully and and um, I think at some point during the week they you know put their faith and trust in Jesus and. Uh, and then I think, I think the story was just about how like they pretty much grew up to go on and serve the Lord, you know. And it's like teenagers, he had seen them, and you know they grew up to be like you know big stout men. That yeah, I believe they went on to Bible school. Yeah, they, to, they became pastors. Yeah, I remember that yeah. story. And I, like, I think I might even I don't want to. They had like rhyming names. Like, yeah, I don't want to say yes. what it is, but it was. Yeah, I, I can't I remember, remember what their that, names. So. Were. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could remember the story in, in totality because he would tell it. And it was so moving because it was like you could hear a pin drop in the place uh, and just powerful. And he would usually like he was he wasn't afraid to show his emotions either. You know, he would actually like cry when he's telling some of these stories and Mm -hmm. it was really powerful. But he was the guy who taught me, you know, when you're working with these kids, like it's okay to tell them to their face, look them in the eyes and tell them that you'd love them. And how that would just yeah. lower their defenses so that you could actually minister to them. And you, you did it because, you know, you genuinely did care and love them. So it wasn't you were just doing it as a manipulation technique. But it was, you know, that genuine care and concern. And, like, he was the guy, when he would do that to people, like, you really, like, wow. <laughs> like, it was powerful. And, I mean... Yeah, you could do, almost do a whole episode on uh, Brother Tutton because he was such a neat guy. But So I got two others. Yeah. So two other life lessons here. So the other thing with, uh, with Boss that I learned, I think, was taking advantage of the time you have. You know, not, not being lazy. But like we've talked about in this episode already, it's like, you know, you got up and you got to work right away. So you were doing calisthenics. You were you know, going and having, you know, prayer time and Bible time. And, you know, you were getting things cleaned up and, you know, you went to breakfast and then you went to sessions in the morning and you went to lunch and you did more, you know, sessions and prep and practice, you know, and it was just like jam packed, really trying to take advantage of every day. And it was that way, not only in the training, but it was that way once you actually got out in the field and you were doing your work out there. I mean, really, the only down day you had, and it wasn't even a down day, was Saturday, you know, like your travel day. The travel day. You know, because yeah. usually it's like your travel, you get there, the the pastor takes you out to Old Country Buffet. Like, I swear, I ate at every <laughs> single Old Country Buffet in the <laughs> country. Too. And I, I just, I hate Old Country Buffet. <laughs> no, and it's not you have wonderful food old country buffet we just had it like every week for 18 weeks or whatever no not 18 weeks but. your target audience was uh you know 
Christian pastors uh, throughout the country or something, because like I think every one of them had a membership or something. But uh, yeah, but it was you know really just taking advantage of like every moment that you had. And then my last one was uh, staying connected. So you know even after traveling Bible time for the two summers I did, and even after I graduated from college and got into adulthood. He would still call me. Like, I, you know, I at random times I'd get these phone calls. I'd pick up and he'd be like, hey, Noah, this is boss. <laughs> I'm like, oh, hey, boss, what's going on? You know, and he'd tell me some stuff. And then, but he, he actually asked about me and, like, what was going on in my life and what I was up to. And then he would pray with me before he would hang up. And it was always, like, s- such a sweet conversation Usually random, kind of unexpected, but I always felt like he was thinking about his boys. You know, he was, he didn't just, you know, have you for, you know, the summer or whatever, but he actually cared about you beyond Bible time, which was really powerful. And I think even, Dave, you know, you and I, I mean, how many years ago was it that we connected? And it's been wonderful, you know, like, and we'd had some connection points. I think before, you know, post-college. And that's really, I think, for me personally speaking, uh, is enriching to my life whenever I have those longer-term relationships that even if we're not talking, you know, every week or whatever, you know, we're talking on a semi-regular basis and it just provides such a, a greater richness. And I think that, you know, Boss was a good example of that. Because he didn't have to do that, you know? No, he was genuine and sincere, but he did. He just embodied the the right way to do things. And yes. you're right. Like me and you, I had a survey trip to take my son out to LA to let him check out the area. He's thinking about moving out there. And we stayed with you and had a great time. And we didn't see each other in years, but you get together and it's like we never missed a day. Right. And that's kind of stuff that Bile Time and Boss and Brother Tutton showed us yeah. and taught us. Yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and I think that's the kind of stuff. Like now, you know, working with my kids, or if you know, in my church, I'm able to work with young people, <clears throat> trying to you know show those kind of qualities to them is valuable and important, and you know, trying to think how I can pass that on to the next generation. And I'm just hoping and praying that if I make it to my to the age that he did, that I have that same level of energy and you know, that same, like he, he didn't retire. Like he didn't just put his feet up and say, I'm done. I've, I've figured it, you know, I had a great run. Like he, he went until he couldn't, which was awesome. That's how it should be. Yeah. It should I mean, be. honestly, yeah. I hope me and you live like that. Absolutely. I, I got, I've been critically ill. Well, I've been critically ill too many times, but I mean, seriously, a couple of times in my life, and like doctors like make out your will. Wow. And I remember laying there thinking like, dude, this isn't how I want to die. I want to die doing. I'd rather die like being somewhere and doing something for Christ than laying in this bed trying to get a few more days out of this. This is terrible. And I remember turning on the TV one time. You know, I think of men like Boss who just lived and died breathing for God. Yeah. That's how we should. Yeah. That really is how we should. Yeah. And it's not, that's your opinion, Dave. No, that is how we should. Yeah, yeah. Because if God didn't want you here, he'd kill you. And if you're listening to this, you know, agree with me, 
I'm sorry. I'm trying to motivate you. Listen, our life's more than ourselves. We need to live outside ourselves. We need to live for Christ. That's what this is. This life's a 70 year on average test. And at the end of the test, did we trust Christ or not? And then if we've trusted him, what do we do with our life? Did we piss it away and waste it? Or do we invest the time for what matters, God and others? So that really is the bottom line of everything. And that's what MBT embodies. And I remember like me and you, we both already said kids weren't our favorite. Right. But do you remember him teaching us how to control the children? Yes. Like most people, when kids get louder, what do most people do? They get louder. Right. But boss got quieter. I remember the first time seeing that. He's got 150 crazy little kids. <laughs> I mean, it'd be easier to herd cats. And he's quiet. Yeah. It's like, you know what happened next, boys and girls? And I'm like, they're yelling. They're not going to hear you. All of them quieted. They quieted to hear him. Do you remember those moments? I remember that. Well, and do you remember too, like if he had like a, a pocket of unruly little kids and how he would walk to them and he would talk directly to them. He wouldn't miss a beat yep. on the story that he was telling or the lesson that he's trying to get across. But he would just walk over in their direction just gently. He'd look at them and tell them the story. And those kids would always like be quiet. It was amazing. Yes, because he wasn't walking up threatening no. or, or like, like that. He was walking up like, I'm telling this story yes. to you. Yes, Kimmy. to you. You're important to me. I love. I mean, yeah. And it was sincere. Yeah, it was sincere. But these are tips that we can pick up and learn. And then I remember Brother Tudden. He was like the guy that was mostly gentle and calm with these kids. But do you remember him getting firm? Yeah. And putting down the law. <laughs> yes. He'd have unruly kids, and he used the same techniques to get quiet. But then he'd stop and he'd go through his like whatever he had to say, and he'd address that person firmly, and that kid would come back and be the most loyal follower. They'd love him because they knew that was tough love. Yeah. That was love that was like, hey, I'm out of line. He called me out on it. And I remember in my own life, I remember one distinct moment that I used that. I was on a soccer field when my kids were really little, and this kid was a nightmare. (laughs) And his mom was embodying it. Oh, man. And I finally, I don't even know this kid. And I said, hey. And I talked to him. I called him over. Said, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're not going to do. This is why we're here. This is what we're doing. I laid it out. And his mom goes, how dare you speak to him that way? I said, ma'am, I don't know what your family situation is. I said, but his dad's not here and you're not doing anything. I said, for the sake of your child and all the other parents and children, I'm stepping in. And she was like, next time I saw that kid, Noah, he came up and gave me a giant hug. Wow. Because he knew I cared. He knew I loved him. And these people think by being little snowflakes, they're letting their kids have benefit. No, you're ruining your kids. And you're basically saying, I don't care. Right. You know, you, you got to give, when somebody does right, praise them. When they do wrong, correct them. Don't beat them, but correct yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. But, but Brother Holmshire and Brother Tudden taught us these things. So I feel so privileged. I wish we could be interviewing them right now. But they're just going to say, don't talk to me, talk to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was their personality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So- All right, well, let's do this. We're going to transition. We talked a lot about the past for the listeners. Thank you for your patience. Uh, This episode, I hope, really did help you, but maybe it was just me and Noah reminiscing. (laughs) Uh, But now what we're going to do is I'm going to give Noah a chance to anything else that we missed, and then we're going to transition to today. What is going on with Neighborhood Bible Time today with its leader, 
uh, Larry Coons, and he's going to tell us about where the organization is, how you can get involved in neighborhood bio time, how you can bring neighborhood bio time experience to your church, and where it's headed in the future. So, Noah, before we go, I thank you for being here today, man. It's been great. Yeah, this has been awesome, man. I mean, it's like I feel like I'm reliving, uh, reliving some really formative times. And so I, I appreciate you. Yeah. And the more we talk, the more I'm like thinking more stories. So this could be an eight hour podcast <laughs> here, but is there anything else specifically you missed or that you want to go over or talk about? Like any other big life lesson? You're like, you know, Dave, this is worth talking about. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I think we've covered most everything. I mean, I, I'll say maybe a couple other, uh, minor ones, but Another thing that really stood out to me with Boss and even um, Brother Tutton was, you know, we had guys coming from all different, you know, schools, um, Bible colleges, universities, whatever. And there, like at the time, there were different things that were going on, uh, debates, theological debates or whatever. And Boss never got into that stuff. Like, he never, you know, he never wanted to get into controversy. Like, he always kind of stayed away from that. And that always really stood out to me, too, because he was focused on the mission, and he didn't let himself get distracted by whatever theological controversy was going on out at the time. And I remember going to some churches and pastors asking me about, you know, this or that theological topic. And I I mean, I had a pastor sit down with me and the guy I was traveling with and, you know, basically try to uh, teach us and correct us on, you know, a certain theological area or whatever. And it was just kind of one of those where I was like, you know, man, like, it it just wasn't cool, you know? I was like, what in the world? (laughs) You know, because that's not what we were there for. We weren't there to talk about any kind of theological controversies or, you know, that wasn't stuff that boss was interested in. You know, he was much more focused on the mission. No. And he, and just to clarify what you said, a hundred percent, but I don't want anybody to walk away. Think boss was like a politician. He wouldn't talk about things controversial. He would talk about whatever the Bible said. The whole mission was love God and love others have people trust Christ and give their life to Christ and serve him. That was the mission. He wanted nothing to distract from that mission. He's not going to ever compromise the gospel or what the Bible says. But what he did is he avoided the controversy because it's just a distraction. You know, what's about say, are you not about contentions in the law? So topics like that. And when we were in college, it was a big debate on something. And I remember being in a church and the pastor we were told as evangelists, never tell people which school you go from, yeah. go to. Yeah. And there was people from all over the country, all over the world. And that way we didn't get in these debates. And the first church, the second summer I traveled, this guy grilled me over and over and over again. I wouldn't tell him. And it was part of the rules and he knew. And then finally, he throws down a PCC update and my face was on the cover. <laughs> I had no idea they took the picture. I had no idea that I was on the cover. Like the school never said anything. So I'm traveling for neighborhood bio time and all summer, the whole thing was, you're not supposed to tell anybody what school you go to. And Noah, I kid you not, that was a summer I was on the cover 
of the PCC update that tens of thousands were printed and shipped around the world. And then what's more ironic is I had my green neighborhood bio time shirt. Do you remember it that summer? That thick oh, yeah. polo shirt yeah. with the triangle logo on it. Dude, they photoshopped it to blue, took out the logo, and that everybody knew I went to PCC. So this guy who went to another school that did not like PCC grilled me. And I mean, to the point where I'm like, dude, this isn't godly. And every day he was just on my back and trying to get in doctrinal conversations and be theoretic, uh, theologically correct. And I'm like, I told him, I said, man, are we here to help kids learn who Jesus is? Or are you here to prove your point? And then I, I had to get boss involved and just say, boss, listen, this is my first day in the summer and like the first week in the summer. This isn't going well. <laughs> and then I leave that church and I go to Vegas. Remember Pastor Tice? Oh, yeah. Man. I love that guy. Okay. So I'm supposed to. Oh, yeah. What a great <laughs> yeah. guy in a great church. Yeah. So I leave from this location. I'm not going to say where. And I get beat up. Even my partner's like, Dave, I'm sorry. Oh, man. He's like, dude, this is rough. Because he he was like, he saw what was happening. And then I go to Vegas. And I'm thinking, man, all I knew was I've never been to Vegas is this is going to be like more <laughs> like just like <laughs> temptation and hardship and everybody's going to hate me. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And I'm like, suck it up, buttercup. That's what you signed up for. You're here to rep represent Jesus. Dude, as soon as we landed, it was like a relief. Like the spiritual oppression was gone. <laughs> I went to Vegas and even though it was a thousand and two degrees, <laughs> Dude, the people were nice. The church was great. We're running rallies. I mean, the kids were dripping sweat and they didn't care. I mean, I was like, I think I lost 10 pounds back then. I didn't even have 10 pounds to lose just that week. But uh, but yeah, boss was all about just keep your mouth shut. Focus on Jesus. Yes. Well, and well, and the other part of that too was like, so he he's recruiting guys from all these different schools. There's 50, you know, and around the world or whatever. And there's 50 of us. And he did a really good job, too, of just making sure we kind of kept it in check, you know, from a competitive standpoint where we weren't trying to be like, well, you know, our school's better than your school or, you know, even ourselves not getting, you know, into weird theological, you know, controversies to distract us and, you know, get us off target. So, you know, not only with the... um the pastors and all that stuff, but he did a good job keeping all the guys kind of unified in that regard as well, which was a pretty big feat because, you know, a lot of the guys that were coming in were, there were a lot of strong personalities and, <laughs> you know, people that, uh, you know, a lot of them were student leaders on their campuses. And, um, you know, so it was, it was, there were times where, I remember some guys kind of starting to creep into that and he just would nip it in the bud, you know, like he didn't want. And see that teaches us leadership. Yeah. It's leader leadership and oh, management. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like don't let something get out of control. Like if you see it starting to go a direction and address it immediately, address it immediately, you know? Yep. And he, he would, he taught me like the importance, like some people think be as discreet as possible. Man, if somebody brought something to public, he addressed it public. Yeah. And he went thorough and he got it done. Any questions? And he was clear because a lot of people, they leave gaps. And what happens? Business, personal, pleasure. If you leave gaps, what do people do? 
they fill them in. And they make up stuff. Yeah. And trust me, what people can make up is almost always worse than reality. Yeah. <laughs> so don't be a moron. Yeah. Lead with good character and tell people the facts that they need to know, a need-to-know basis, but be clear, be honest, nip it in the bud at the beginning, and move on. And Boss was amazing at that. You are 100% right. Yeah, so those are probably the last couple of things that really stuck out to me. And I'm sure if we were to go on for another, you know, two hours, there'd be all kinds of other things that we could bring up. Because, I mean, there's so many <laughs> there's so many stories we didn't touch on. And, and it, it was funny, um, several few years ago, I was in Michigan and uh and i met met a guy and we were talking and it hap- just so happened that he traveled bible time he might have traveled the year you did and he found out that i tr- we i don't know how we found out that we both traveled bible time and he goes to his wife he goes hey he goes noah traveled bible time and and i'm going to have him tell you some of these stories because i know like his whole marriage, his wife didn't believe anything that he that he told her about boss or Bible time. So I was able to like confirm all the crazy stories that he'd been telling her for like, you know, ten or fifteen years. I was able to finally come in there and like be another person that had perspective in this experience that could tell him, you know, tell her like, yeah, this guy, you know, was very eccentric, over the top love Jesus, you know, did all this just crazy stuff. Yeah. You know? And and she's like, wow, I thought this whole time he was making stuff up. <laughs> no, no, no. We haven't even talked about the half of it. It's already been over two hours. So I hope you found entertainment in this episode, but I hope you also found a lot of wisdom and knowledge. Like I said, we're going to continue with Larry, where Bible time is today. So you can get hooked up with the ministry. Uh, there's all sorts of ways to get involved, to help, to bring it to your church and to see a little bit of what we experienced then today. Um, but yeah, man. And again, just like mom, my home yeah. church, that's a whole episode in itself. Oh, yeah. I remember going to her house to mow the lawn because she was blind by that point in a wheelchair. And I remember, growing, or she wasn't fully blind, but she was legally blind. And I remember going grocery shopping with her. And man, you talk about a feisty woman. <laughs> Woo! She was so fun, man. So fun. <laughs> But all right, Noah, I love you. I wish you only the best. Thanks for being on the show today. Absolutely. And to our listeners, hang tight. We're going to make a quick transition and pick up with Larry Kuntz of Neighborhood Bible Time. And we can't wait to see you at the next rally. Noah, thanks for being here, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I appreciate it, man. And uh, thanks for having me on your podcast. And I wish you only the best and uh, lots of success going forward here. Man, all for Christ, and let's help each other grow, right? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon, Noah. And the listeners, hang tight. We'll be right back with Larry. So, friends, we have a special treat today. With us is Larry Kuntz, the director of Neighborhood Bible Time. And Larry, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, David. I'm um, thrilled to be here. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. Now, Noah Young and I, a former evangelist, we both just spent a couple hours reminiscing about MBT and funny stories. And our listeners have got to hear a little bit about what NBT is, and they probably got a perspective from the evangelist. But now as a director, you're the man that's living and breathing the heartbeat of Neighborhood Bible Time. What is Neighborhood Bible Time to you in a nutshell? How would you describe it to the audience? Well, I would describe it as the end product being evangelism through the local church. As churches have a burden 
uh, to uh, the Great Commission to, to reach their community, Neighborhood Bible Time brings in a philosophy uh, that allows them to, to reach the most responsive mission field, and that is that age between 4 and 14. So Neighborhood Bible Time um, trains young men to, to, uh, to prepare themselves for a life-changing summer of going in and being a servant in the local church. So Bible time really has two sides to one. The end product is evangelism through the local church, but the real, the real heartbeat of MBT is training the next generation of leaders, those that will replace us in, in, in the church. Awesome. Now for people listening, they've got to hear my side and Noah's side and just some of our old stories and us having fun talking together. But for churches today, where is NBT today? Like, where are you at? Where's your footprint? How can people get involved with NBT? How people get involved with NBT is through our website, is by going to, to our website. And, and from there, they can see videos, they can see um, uh, testimonies, and they can learn about uh, Neighborhood Bible Time. And uh, we're located in, in the Chicago area. And we train in Maryland, uh, but churches around the around the nation. Well, mo- most churches know of us because MBT has been around for sixty six years, sixty seven years, and so it has a very uh, strong presence in 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 the local church. Uh, but our website's the best way to contact us. Okay, and now you said nationally. Are you guys still doing international rallies? No, we do international as well. Probably about. Seven years ago, um, a gentleman actually came to me and said, well, why aren't you going overseas? And I said, well, it'd be really hard for us to do that. And he said, well, I think you ought to just trust the Lord. And that kind of got working in my heart. You know, this is a ministry that was born in the heart of God, powered by the Holy Spirit all these years. So we began to pray about it and we just went and God has provided because um, when we go overseas, we, we go by faith. We don't we, we don't charge the missionaries that are serving in those countries. We, we, we go and God has provided the funds needed every year. Awesome. Awesome. Now with neighborhood Bible time, it's, we describe the ministry as like vacation Bible school on steroids, right? You have from the kids to the teens and it gets the whole church involved. Um, how did you get involved in the ministry? Because you were the anomaly boss always had his boys, so to speak, and you never traveled as an evangelist, correct? But you have that heart and that passion that you became the director. How did that all happen? Try to make it brief. I got saved in my 20s. So I had you know, never heard of Jesus Christ. And uh, when I was in the military, someone witnessed to me and through a series of events, I came to know Christ as my personal savior. Well, for, for the next 19 years, I was in the business world, 39 years old, I went into the ministry full time through my local church in Schaumburg, Illinois. And I remember the pastor coming to me and saying, hey, you need to organize a VBS. And I said, man, I don't know what to do or how to do that. And he says, well, call <laughs> this guy named Charles Holmshire and uh, he'll be able to help you. So I called Brother Holmshire and we kind of hit it off right off the bat. And uh, so we set up a team to come out to our church. And I remember calling him after the rally and said, this thing is incredible. I said, what I really liked was the young men, their, their, their passion. In fact, the young man that we had the first year, uh, he was staying in my basement. And I remember going downstairs in my basement 
to see if he was ready to leave for the day. And he was down there and I caught him crying as he was praying. And he looked at me and he says, he says to me, why are we not seeing the hand of God and seeing more salvations? And, and I remember just being struck in my heart that here was a young man that did not know me that well and uh, did not know our ministry, but yet he was so burdened for our community. I was overwhelmed by that. Well, I called Brother Holmesher back and said it was a great rally. I said, I wish we would put more into it. And so the next year we had it again, and we went from 200 kids to about 600 kids. And by year three, we had 1,000 kids in enrollment. Wow, I, that's I amazing. I remember calling Brother Holmesher and saying that this was just incredible. It was reaching moms and dads. We were seeing people saved left and right and actually joining the church. He said, well, why don't you come out for a week? And I said, and do what? He said, just come out and see training. And when I went out and spent that week with him, our spirits just connected. And he called me probably about two or three years later after that, you know, we were in constant communication. And he said that he was looking to hand the ministry off. He thought it was time with some circumstances. And and I told him I was not interested. I felt I was where I should be. And uh, he called me about a week or two later and said he thinks they found somebody. And I remember when I hung up the phone, I remember saying in my heart, I think that was supposed to be me. But wow. he called me back about a week later and said it fell apart. And I said, I think I'm the guy. <laughs> I got on an airplane. And I flew out there and I met with the board and through a series of meetings and conversations, the Lord decided that that's the way that it should be. And um, somebody from nowhere with nothing to give and no name, God used uh, me under the, 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 the instruction of Brother Holmesher to learn and uh, literally changed my life. It's been a great 19 years. Yeah, and that's something Noah and I were talking about. God uses Bible time to reach people. You know, we used to say wearing the head, the heart, and the home to Christ in his church, but it changes all of us. It changes us as the director. It changes us as the evangelist. It changes us as the, the kids just going through the program, the parents. One thing that you said was amazing, and pastors, if you're listening, uh, church workers, if you're listening, Larry said the first year he had 200, the second year 600, the third year 1,000. Bible time is never going to tell you that the ministry is easy or it's it's simple and you know we do all the work. For a proper rally to go off, it takes effort. But with that effort is huge fruit and reward. And as Christians, that's what we're supposed to be doing. So Larry, talk about the program in a nutshell. If people, decision makers in churches, they're like, we've had VBS for 30 years or We've had other programs for years, or we do our own program. What are the benefits of MBT? Because I believe in it strongly because I've seen it. So how would you describe that to pastors and youth pastors and people listening now? Why MBT? MBT allows a church to, um, by bringing in neighborhood Bible time, allows a church to focus on their community. Instead of spending a lot of time trying to make sure that everything's planned out and that they have the perfect program and that everything's in place, all those hours of effort, uh, you're able to be freed up to just worry about getting your community to come in. Because when the two young men come, they're, they're highly trained and well-trained to, to come in and assume the leadership position underneath the pastor to run a, a, and lead an outreach that uh, is enthusiastic, but yet at the same time is enthusiastic. I love our theme, and that is it's um, fun with a purpose. Everything we do is on purpose 
to to lead a child um, from from creation to the second coming of Christ. That that in there they they hear the gospel over and over and over again, so that during the week if they're unsaved, they they realize their need for Christ, and if they are saved, they'll grow in their Christ likeness. And so, pastors, I would I would tell you that it allows you to have the enthusiasm of these two young men that are dedicated to the week, willing to put in 12 to 14 hours a day. After the rally, they're just not sitting around, but they're out in the community in parks, skateboard parks, over wherever they can find children, doing tricks, doing um, uh, balloon animals to, to draw attention and bring them into the church. I can tell you confidently that every rally over the last few years has doubled or tripled in size because of the enthusiasm of the two young men. So it really reaches into your community and brings in unchurched people. And, and when these young kids come, they're so excited that the parents want to know, why is my kid excited about church? Why is he excited about doing right? And it's an opportunity then to reach families. And, and certainly most of the rallies uh, reach two or three families. Yeah, enthusiasm breeds enthusiasm, right? Yes. Brother Holmes, you would always say that. You're dead on. All right. Well, for the listeners, we already talked about the website. It'll be in the show notes. It's NBT time, but it's the shared T. So NBTIME.org. And if they go there and they have information, you can fill out a form for Larry or his staff to contact you. And if people just want to help, they're like, you know, we were listening to the the show. We're listening to this episode. We really love what you're doing. Like we love what MBT is doing. How can they help you and support the ministry if they can't physically be part of the rally? Brother Homeshire used to teach me this all the time. I was really amazed with Brother Homeshire's prayer life. And he used to tell me when he was bringing me on and he was getting me ready for the, for the continuation of MBT, he told me, don't worry about being slick. Don't worry about having all the marketing tools, though those are important. But he would he would say to me, um, pray, pray, pray. And, and I would say to you, the thing that we covet the most would be just the prayer of those that love the Lord to pray for the rallies, pray for the young men, pray that the furtherance of the gospel, that nothing would hinder it, and that we would see many boys and girls um, over the summer hear the gospel a lot of times for the first time and then many would come to Christ so once again I would say the number one thing is, is prayer and I found that when prayer is what we're focusing on and we're, we're spending time and we're asking God and he continues to bless is that uh, the money comes every year somehow people are burdened in their heart I get I get checks and letters from people that that I've never heard of before that, that, that heard about MBT and uh, God burdened their heart. And so support of the ministry is important as well. So prayer, you can give towards the ministry or third would be, give us a call. Uh, maybe you have some skills that we can use behind the scenes. Uh, our website was created by an individual that had a burden for MBT. Called us up and said, Hey, we do websites. Uh, can we, can you, can we help you with your website? Look at our website today is because of that. We've had other people call us and say, hey, we're very good at um, at, at producing material. We're, we're a printer. We, we have this. Can we help? And so uh, we appreciate it. People have donated miles to MBT to help offset the cost of flying 
So there's many, many different things that individuals can do. But the number one thing is just pray for this ministry. For those of you who didn't know Charles Holmshire, who we keep referring to and no and I talked about, he was a legitimate, sincere, not praying for anyone, but just between him and God. You remember him even praying while he was driving, Larry? He'd call it conversational prayer. And he sometimes he'd close his eyes and that was not safe. Did you ever see him do that? Yes, I no, with, without a doubt. Um, <laughs> but he was real. He loved God. One, one thing about uh, Brother Hosher that uh, moved me was he would tell me all the time, he'd say, he'd, he would say to me, Brother Larry, he says, I give the ministry back to God every day. It's not mine. And I believe that's why I was able to transition and continue was because he realized that this was born in the heart of God and powered by the Holy Spirit all these years. And Christ was lifted up in every rally that he couldn't say it was him. He could say, God used me to steward it. And so he was comfortable handing it off because he knew that God would continue it. And he has. This is this is this has certainly been the work of God. The fruit that has remained is unexplainable. Listen to this. Over the 67 years, over 2 million people have attended a neighborhood Bible time youth crusade. Wow. And hundreds of thousands have been saved, born again. And many are serving in full-time ministry. I was just at one of the recent colleges a week ago, and two individuals came to me. One came to me. He's 18 years old. He said, can you tell me who the evangelist was at my rally at this church this year? I was eight years old, and I heard the gospel for the first time, and I was saved at that rally. And now I'm at Bible college studying to be a pastor. And he goes, I want to let that evangelist know the impact that he had on my life. Amen. So, so Bible time has fruit that has remained over the years. There, there are, there are hundreds of thousands of people that their lives have been changed. Their, their destinations changed. Their families have been reached through just two young men and a willing church to open up their doors to come in and for one week, turn your community upside down for Christ. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know it changed my life. And if you're listening to this podcast today, this probably wouldn't be here. Like Larry said and Boss said, this is God's ministry, but he's using Larry. He used Brother Holmshire. Hopefully he's using me for this podcast. But you wouldn't be listening to this if it wasn't for the influence that NBT had in my life. And when it comes to the pastors listening, again, the church workers and the parents even who want to get this in your local church, it's going to be work. It's going to be change, but man, is it worth it? The fruit, the change you see, the testimonies you hear, it's not what Larry's saying. These are, thankfully, these aren't isolated testimonials. It's constant over and over and over again. The impact that Bible time has in people's lives, even as a young child and as a teen, is truly life-changing. So Larry, thank you for being on the show um, is there anything else you want to share about yourself, about the ministry, about where you're going this summer? Anything else you want to share with the listeners before we take off? Sure. This year we'll gather again for three weeks of intense training, and then we will disperse not only around the United States, but we'll be in Ireland, the UK, we'll be in Colombia, South America, we'll be in some of the islands down in the Caribbean, and then we'll be in Canada. And Lord willing, we'll be in the Dominican Republic. Amen. Amen. And you know, this show, I thank you to the listeners. I just got an email this morning that we're uh, 
in the top self-help for um, France. I like. I know that we have an international audience, but we actually ranked in the top. Uh, I think we were 144. But out of tens of thousands of podcasts, thank you to everyone listening, and we'll keep moving up. But uh, if you have a church in any country, but especially our friends in France, call Larry. They're already out on that side of the world. Bring in Bible time. Change your life. All right. Well, Larry, thank you for being here. Listeners, we're going to wrap this episode up. But remember, money's a tool. It's not ours. Larry's not asking you for money, but I am. If you have, pray about it. If you have the ability, give some money to Bible time so they can use it to fund sending evangelists to churches reaching children with the gospel and changing lives to glorify God. We love you. Thanks for being here. Larry, thank you for being here today, my friend. Thank you, Dave. The Remarkable People Podcast. Check it out. The Remarkable People Podcast. Listen. Do. Repeat for life.